Ladies and gentlemen, I do believe we are live. Welcome to another episode of the Break the Rules live stream coming at you all the way live today on a beautiful spring day with Curtis Yarvin, Vladislav Davidson, who is, by the way, a uh, member of the Atlantic Council, a fellow of the Atlantic Council. So you could not find a person that is more opposite geopolitically, probably, than uh, Vlad and uh, Curtis. And I'm very excited for us to just go into it, talk about Russia versus Ukraine. We can uh, uh, do it however you guys want, maybe first talking about uh, the various uh, elements that led to where we are here, as well as what the response uh, should be of the United States to what's going on. So before that, once again, make sure to hit that subscribe button, make sure to sneed those super chats, and of course, click the bell, add a like, all of that is very important. And also, if you pay attention to the right side of the screen, you will notice that there is a bird feeder. This is the official BTR bird cam coming at you all the way live from my backyard. So if you want the seed to keep coming to the birds, you got to sneed those super chats for their feed of the, sne of the seed. So anyway, guys, we're going to get started. Oh, and also patreon.com slash break the rules. That also helps. We are going to get started right now. Let us start with uh, let us start with Curtis. What do you make of the current situation right now, wherever you want to pick up? And then Vlad will answer. Well, um, you know, I hear some rumors that the counteroffensive, the long awaited counteroffensive is actually starting. Is that true, Vlad? Some some Bill uh, no. various things. Yeah, look, I, I'm not a member of the general staff. Uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, it, it looks like things are on the uptick. But the Ukrainians have been sending in reinforcements to Bakhmut, uh, where they needed to push back the Russians, and they've been using actually the, the forces of the uh, intelligence directorate, and uh, they've been using other reserve troops, not these reserve troops that are coming in from places like Germany and France. These are these are newly minted battalions which are completely fresh completely newly trained to nato standards these are not veterans these are not guys who've been up front for a long time and they've they've not used those battalions because they want to have enough in the tank in order to go somewhere when the counteroffensive starts and and they're they're attacking in the kharkov belgorod direction what's the where's where, where are these people coming well, I mean, the, the, there is evidence, uh, however circumstantial, and a lot of the stuff that happened on Russian military telegram channels today is is a bit hysterical, uh, or or you know, kind of unvetted that that the Russians are doing badly around Bakhmut and certain Russian battalion, the seventy second brigade, I believe, uh, took large casualties, ran away. The Wagner guys are reported to have run away. Prigozhin threatened publicly the MOD, the Russian uh, Ministry of Defense, that he would uh, take his guys out if he wasn't given more ammo and wasn't given more reinforcements. It was a very public fight between the Prigozhin guys and, and uh, Shoigu and Gerasimov and, and the defense guys. The so MOD. Yeah, but, well, I mean, different fractions within Russian military. What so do you it, think of the... What do you think yeah. of the Russian mill blogger community? What do you, what do you like? It seems to me that there's actually a very lively civic culture there, which is very counter to some of the like stereotypes of Putin's Russia. So the mill bloggers are interesting. A lot of them are just former soldiers. Some of the pro more prominent ones are actually former intelligence guys 
whose job by day is to be a soldier or they're a former soldier or they're, they were uh, on, on contract soldier who became, uh, after getting out of the army, a mercenary and then became a military blogger or they're uh, kind of adjuncts to the to the uh, uh, to the Russian military forces, right? So there's different kinds. There's the guys who are just straight up military guys who are also kind of good propagandists and have a voice, right? And they represent the the military line. These guys are patriotic. Then you have guys who are intelligence service guys who are high level guys. Uh, my aunt is calling me actually. She wants to. My I have I have the tiger. Aunt of the I have tiger. tiger. Should I? Uh, uh, wow. Uh, might I just say I'm I'm in the middle of a live stream. <laughs> I will take this opportunity, by the way, to plug my Substack, leftpo.substack.com. Go there right now. I write about yes. all this stuff. Anyway, go on, Vlad. I put my phone down. My aunt. I love my aunt. I'm not gonna not pick up on my aunt. I love her very much. Um, so some of these guys are just military intelligence guys who, on their time off, also have a hobby, or they're paid for this. Then there are also guys who are attached to Russian television, and these are officious Russian television stations like Channel One, other propaganda outlets, outlets of the state, and they are allowed to come in and be seconded or embedded, uh, as we used to say in the Iraq war, embedded with the Russian troops. Some of these guys also are kind of crazy. Some of them will will like pick up rifles. Some of them uh, will, will uh, yell if, if you have, if you ever guys can do it, so can I. Yesterday we saw one of these mill bloggers actually loading up a Katusha. He says, this one's for the Ukrainians. It's like, if you're actually loading the Katusha with a rocket, I think the Ukrainians can kill you. I think you're a military target. I would, I sure. I mean, it's it's gonzo journalism, right? I mean, the, really uh, the the I, I guess as a war correspondent, the tradition of kind of, you know, one of the kind of principles of journalism is not not killing people at least directly. But I, uh, you know, I don't think there's really much of a difference in this in this in this kind of conflict. These guys, like former uh, military, like Girkin, who, who's just like mm -hmm. a disillusioned romantic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know, I know, I will be killed for this by all my Ukrainian friends, and and my I might even get banned or have my credentials taken away. But I, I find Girkin as a 19th century lost melancholy romantic who's full of rage towards very the Russian figure, very Russian figure. I, I'm so attractive. I mean, I hope the Ukrainian intelligence services kill him as quickly as possible. Mm. I'm, I, I support this. He deserves a beautiful death and a quick one. But I, I, I find it as. As myself, a Russian-Ukrainian from Central Asia who lives in the 19th century most of the time, I, I, find, I, I find his disappointment and his disillusionment and his balls-to-the-wall uh, discrediting of, of Putinism to be so romantic. I, again, I wish him a quick and beautiful death at the hands of our how, how do you How do you feel about Prigozhin? He's a character, uh, is he not? He's a Jew. Is he, yeah. You know, he's a, yeah, he's a Jew. He's a character. He's got personality. You know, you know, I, I think I think we you know, we can we can sort of maybe yeah. I'm going out on a limb here. We can yeah. kind of agree on a general thesis, which is, first of all, this is a Russian civil war. This is this is between two no. centers in, in the historical. Uh, yeah, sure, 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 sure. I understand that, you know, certain like borders were drawn by Khrushchev and Clinton or whatever, but within the Russian, within Ruski Mir, within the Russian world, this is a civil war between two great centers of the historic Russian world. Okay, so if I, 
anyone who says civil war in my social circles is I, I understand. on the uh, left side of things. I, don't they don't they tie them? Don't they do this thing? Don't they don't they do this thing in the Sorry, go on. We paused. We froze. Hello, Vlad. Can you hear me? Let's, there we go. We, I can rephrase that in a, in a, in a more... Can you hear me? I'm here. I'm here. Yes. Yeah, everything's fine? Yeah, yeah. We're yeah, good. You're, we're you're good. just on lousy French internet. Yeah. Tell me everything's fine. Yes, yes, yes. We're good. I hear you. Yeah, sorry. Curtis. Okay. I, I love... Curtis, this isn't a civil war. Ukrainians and Russians really are different people. And Ukrainians have lived within... Uh, a Russian imperial construct and with Russians in very complex ways while, while being a, both a constituent people of the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union and the junior partners in in the alliance between uh, like, like the great imperial and the lower imperial, like the Scots to the English within the British imperial tradition, right? They're not the Irish who are peasant-eating, uh, potato-eating peasants within, within the imperial tradition. And so the, there, uh, there, there were Ukrainian uh, Russified aristocrats. There were Ukrainian members of the uh, generals. There were Ukrainian uh, secretary generals of the Communist Party. And, and so the, the Ukrainian Communist Party was run by people of names like Semenyenko, right? So, uh, so, so I mean, you have, you have, of course, you know, the strange history of the USSR with nationalism, where early in the period of the USSR. Of course, they make these huge efforts to encourage like Ukrainian li linguistic nationalism. They're kind of par. They're they're sort of laying claim to the the you know um, retarded heritage of of nineteenth century linguistic nationalism. The Czechs must be a nation. The Slovaks must be a nation because Slovak is a little different from Czech, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh. And 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 the way I, I understand. Hard. Okay, fine. All right. I get it. All right, then. Okay. The, the way the way yeah. I understand the linguistic, mm -hmm. you know, the Scots example is, I think, a good one, because let's say that Russia was um, spawn, was arming Scotland in an attempt to break away from the UK. Now, you could go and say that Scots, not to be confused with Scottish Gaelic, which is a pretty much a dead language. But, you know, there is a language called Scots. It has been kind of different from English since, you know, time immemorial. It, it shares ancestry with English. There was a wonderful event that happened recently on the Scots language Wikipedia, because of course these ridiculous little peasant languages have their own, uh, you know, Wikipedia pages. And it was discovered that the Scots Wikipedia consisted almost entirely of Wikipedia entries pseudo translated from English by a teenager who didn't actually know Scots. He was just kind of hamming up in, in you know, in pseudo Scots and turning no into nay, you know, and, 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 you know, this sort of indicates the kind of proper status of Scots as it enters the modern world where, okay, they're probably, really serious peasant areas, you know, where it's, you know, crofters in the hills right. of Makilalay still speak Scots. But if you go to Edinburgh, people speak English and they've spoken English for the last 500 years. Similarly, if you go to Kiev, then you'll find that Kiev was a Russian speaking city. You know, I saw, um, you know, uh, our, 
I mean, it was like 60-40 recently. I mean, I, I saw Ar- Aristovich, Aristovich, who is, I'm saying all the Russian names wrong. I just saw a clip of Aristovich talking about the language policy and saying, you know, it was more like uh, the number he gave for Kiev was more like 85-15. I was speaking to someone about this, uh, obviously not someone necessarily on the same side of yours. And I'm like, well, they must they must, must speak some Ukrainian in Lvov. No, apparently during, you know, uh, World War II, Lvov is just entirely leveled and then it's repopulated with Muscovites uh, after the war. And so Ukrainian well, is just... Wait, wait, wait. You're, saying a lot of things, you're saying a lot of things which are like, which are partially true and like somewhat not correct and a little bit off and please, some things please. a bit off. Let's break it down. The academics, down. let's unpack that. Let's, let's unpack, unpack that. it. Let's, let's unpack it. Okay, first of all... Uh, I just wanted to get back to the uh, to the civil war thing within. I, I mean, like all these three states, Belarus, Russia and Ukraine are all successor states of Kiev and Rus. Right. So mm-hmm. the, the Ukrainians uh, rightly see themselves as the older successor state to Kiev and Rus. So all of the Slav states, Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus are successor states to that. Uh, ancient uh, well I mean sure but they're also successor states to the Russian Empire and and you know to trace them back to the sort of ancient you know it's like they they used to do this thing it's kitsch is what I'm saying you know they used to do this thing in um, in actually in the UK or what they now call the UK in England where they sort of were like well you know these like you know uh, ideas of civil rights and so forth that these pedophaging lawyers attempted to use against their rightful king in the early 17th century. These are actually time immemorial Saxon things from before the Norman Conquest, right? All just complete hokum. I mean, why trace anything back to Kiev and Rus when you can tra- trace it back to the empire of all the Russias? And like it, it seems, in, in come on, who here's you know a, a slightly deeper question is who in Kiev in you know the era of alexander the second is speaking ukrainian like peasants bringing wagons of turnips in from the countryside certainly well, not the jews I, no i mean okay look the uh well okay i just wrote a uh, as it happens i will i will pit myself i will i just had the the cover essay of the jewish quarterly the jews of ukraine Bashaltov to zelensky by vladislav davison and i actually tell you in this in this long 15,000 word essay that I just wrote on Ukrainians, Jews and Jews in Ukraine. Is that, so, so, uh, so Ukrainians uh, actually speak Yiddish. That's that, that's the uh, compromise here. <laughs> uh, uh, it should be mandatory. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, look, the, the 800 years ago, or let's say 700 years ago, when a Jew spoke a language in the lands which are now constituent of Ukraine, and we're talking about also the, the Crimean Tatar lands, the Turkic lands in the south, which were never incorporated uh, into the Russian Empire until like 1792 or 1794, uh, where or, or Turkish lands, Turkic lands. A Jew speaking a language other than uh, Yiddish before like the 17th, 16th century, or German, bef- like outside of my ancestral Chernowitz, or Polish, uh, uh, when, when it wasn't a Turkic or Yiddish tongue, and often they were speaking Turkic tongues because they were uh, Khazars, or they were they were Turkic Jews, or they were they were they were uh, Crimean Jews, or Krimchaks, or Karaites, which yeah, they're all Turkish speakers. When it was not one of those Jews, it would be a Jew speaking, if he knew another language, uh, Proto-Slavic. 
So Proto-Slavic is the far, well, let's say the, the father language of Russian, Ukrainian, Belarus, all of it, right? I mean, like, why, why do we need to go into the history of Eastern Slav and the Western Slavs and the Southern Slavs in order to break down uh, uh, how old the linguistic history of Ukraine because, is? Because, because this whole idea of linguistic nationalism is bogus and it has created nothing but war and chaos and death. And, like, for me, you know, the, 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 like, you know, the idea that the Austro-Hungarian Empire needed to be broken up so that the Czechs could find their own destiny or the creation of Yugoslavia, another brilliant idea of 19th century linguistic nationalism. Like, you know, the, the, like the, this whole idea that you can't have a country consisting of people who speak different languages, especially languages as close as, as Russian and, and Ukrainian or, you know, Okay, but I, as... I think we're operating under some misconception. First of all, this this uh, uh, this this is an anti-imperial uh, revolutionary process that takes place after after nine, after 2014, both the rediscovery of an old Ukrainian nationalism and the creation of a new one. That's one thing. Secondly, it's not like it's not an ethno-linguistic thing at all. This is just this is all Ukrainians who are born in Ukraine who are into Ukraine. So it's actually just about geography and lines on a map. Because, you know, like, like I, I, I sort of, I, I, I object to these things because basically, you know, I'm old. I, I was born in the year of our Lord, 1973. And I grew up thinking that there was such a place as the Ukraine and such a, a you know, a city as Kiev and right. all of these things. And uh, I grew very used to the idea that the Ukraine was a, an SSR, which meant a province of the Soviet Union, which was Russia. And right. that in Kiev, they spoke Russian and in Odessa. You know, I think some of my ancestors hailed from Odessa with two oh, we S's. Love, we love you. you we know. love you. I'll take you to Odessa. I wrote my first book about mm -hmm. Odessa. I'd love to. Why did, they, why did they, why did they take out one of the S's? What was, uh, you know, why, so why isn't, what, why is an English speaker? Do I have to take out an S? No, I, I'm, I am the preeminent defender of the, uh, the two S's in, in Odessa. Mm. I just got off, I just got off the phone previously 30 minutes ago with my friend Tom Duvall, who's writing an essay about Odessa, and he just wanted a commentary on why there's two S's uh, in Odessa properly. But, by the way, I'm, I'm only in favor of two S's. It has nothing mm -hmm. to do with Russian uh, spelling. Or no, it's about the it's about the Schutzstaffel. It's a... Okay, look, uh, look let, again, let me unpack all of this. Ukraine okay. is fighting for the future. Mm -hmm. uh, Russia's fighting for the past. Ukraine mm -hmm. wants to be independent of a Russian sphere of influence, which is normative. Does Especially it want to be independent? Wanted... Does it want to be independent of a Washington sphere of influence? What about a Brussels sphere yeah, of influence? No, no, it doesn't because there's like there's no third way, man. Like anyone who talks about a third way is just like. That so I, when you're yeah. using the word independence, you're sort of using this kind of Orwellian term. You're basically saying you're not really saying this is an anti-imperial movement. You're saying that a bunch of you know young disco hoppers in Kiev, you know, prefer prefer the the American Empire to the Russian Empire. So may it be, but like call a spade a spade, man. Okay, look, okay, uh, it's not calling a spade a spade. This isn't about empire. This is about freedom to live your life as you want to live it and the, the russians live in a dictatorship and they're they're not allowing other people to leave that dictatorship right and so they uh, are they are the are the ukrainians allowing people to leave the ukraine i mean don't as a as a fight against male of of of, of the ukraine aren't you like 
uh, don't you have to sneak across the border like a Jew getting out of, of, of Germany? And like they have a, a draft. I, I, you know, you're, you're, I think you're talking about conscription, the fact that yes. men are not allowed to leave the country. Okay, so as a, as a kind of anarchist and a, as an anarchist myself and coming out of an anarchist background and a libertarian background, I do not think the state should compel people to not be able to leave the state. But in this in this case, it is it is law and uh, mm. it's law and those men are needed to fight. And uh, I don't believe that anyone should be thrown into a meeting. Uh, sorry to interrupt. I think a better yes. question would be not during a state of war, but during a state of peace. What is life like under the Russian government as opposed to what life would be like under the Ukrainian government? And how much, let's say, the American malfeasance that Curtis may be uh, nervous about uh, penetrating itself into Ukraine, how much is that going to cause problems for the Ukrainian people going forward? So those are like the two different comparisons we can make here. So I don't know, Vlad, any thoughts on that? Okay, so much to unpack, so much to unpack. Uh, I, I did want to say before that uh, the two civilizational civil war thing is off, but it is, it's not untrue that you can see it as a war of generations of post-Soviet people in the sense that Zelensky and his people are 40 years old and Putin and his people are 70 years old. In that sense, it's not wrong to say that this is a generational war of different uh, Soviet generations, like the like, there's been sociological analysis of the average age of a member of Putin's government. It's like 63, 64. The average oligarch uh, is like a nine is like a of the nine, top hundred people in the regime. Ninety four are men, uh, or ninety two are men, and the average one of them is like 62, 63, right? And Putin himself is seventy and is surrounded by people like Petrushev who are like really old, right? 72, 73. And Zelensky's 42, 43. Aristovich is like 37. The average member of his cabinet's like 38. His MPs are like 35. I hang out with MPs who are like 33. The youngest MP in Zelensky's party is a young guy. Um, he actually promised, uh, if uh, under Ukrainian law, you could do poruchniki. So if a, me- if a member of Ukrainian parliament comes to get you out, uh, they, can, they can take you out from under arrest. He promised me uh, that if wow. I ever get arrested, bail me out. Twenty-five-year-old really, member of the Ukrainian parliament. That's really that's that's, it, that's an interesting. Le- is that kind of come from an old Russian legal tradition? It I don't seems know very that, alien to Western to Western law. This idea. Come get you out of jail and, and vouch for you and get you out of jail uh, for 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 free. Anything. Well, for I mean, free. like. <laughs> free. <laughs> what are you fucking? What are you, you're gonna out Junior for free? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, the the, the general impression. Yeah. Uh, maybe this is a, an overly. Um, I'm gonna set you straight, man. I'm gonna set you straight. Go ahead. The the general impression I have of certainly the Ukraine before the war is that Ukraine. it was all Ukraine, Ukraine, uh, Ukraine. The, it means the borderland, the Ukraine. I grew up, you know what you can't, I grew up speaking English and in English it's called the Ukraine. You can call it anything you want. You call it the Batman, you know, we're going to get the, the Batman. Batman. Yeah, the, it's exactly, exactly. I still it's say the Sudan. Go after the Batman. I'm totally fine with the Sudan, you know, and, and the, the, it's, 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 it's classic, you know, and in, in general, like my observation or very remote observation or my yes. perception of yes. the Ukraine before the war 
is that it was kind of perhaps the most corrupt place in Central Europe, north of Serbia, and kind of had a general resemblance to what Russia would look like if the Yeltsin administration had continued into the present. Okay. Well, uh, you know, is well, that overstated? Is that... It, okay, it is overstated now, and there's been tremendous changes that's taken place in the last 10 years. There's been uh, there's been tremendous changes in all sorts of like uh, things uh, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, all, all sorts of industries. There's been a lot of change. Anti-corruption is a real thing. Ukraine's moved up all those rankings. I'm not the one who keeps the rankings. Uh, corruption was the way that the Russians controlled the Ukrainian political elite. In order to control Ukrainians, Russians kept a system of corruption above them. And they kept bribing political elites for generations of political elites. Uh, that that is one way that one of many ways that the Kremlin kept control over Ukraine. Right? Uh, the, the corruption was endemic until in the '90s. Certainly, it's gotten a lot better. A lot of the reporting, uh, you know, makes it look more corrupt than it is. Certainly on procurement, they got rid of corruption and procurement. They just set up a uh, kind of a stock market system for it. It's completely transparent. It, it is true that Ukraine has a lot of resources and, uh, uh, you know, cash, black and gray cash. And being this gray zone of conflict between Eastern Europe and Western Europe, between uh, Russia and, and, and Europe and uh, between uh, the future and the past, there was a lot of cash, and these oligarchs had access to a lot of cash. Much of much of the economy was in the black and the gray market, right? And so there was just cash circulating. I know, I know, one oligarch, his escape plan was he had a he had a plane parked uh, in um, uh, in Borispol Airport with like thirty million dollars in gold coins in it. You know, that was his final escape plan in case things were getting really bad. He had a he had a fueled plane with gold coins in it. Just a lot of cash. So gener for generations, what people from Washington, D.C., completely bipartisan, came to Kiev and they used it as an ATM. Mm. This, this is where you and I are going to uh, converge on a, a lot of things that we do agree on. I think it's, sure. that's good. Sure. So sure. for generations, and it was everybody. It was, it was the, the, the Clinton machine just ate at the trough. Uh, McCain's people, a lot of McCain's guys. I'm not going to go into the names. Mm. I don't want to bore the, the, the listeners. The McCain's people were uh, McCain's people were up in there and they were making money. He had a lot of people uh, from Manafort on down who, who had worked for him. McCain's people were totally uh, integrated into the ATM uh, structure of uh, uh, of Ukraine. And you, so it's not it's not an accident, comrades, that both major parties standard bearers in the 2020 election were ensnared by. Uh, scandals having to do with Ukraine, right? Sure. It's, I mean, you know, you know, when I when I asked my 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 dad um, knows a few things about corruption because he was the U.S.'s uh, chief economic officer in Nigeria. Now, Nigeria is, of course, very. You know, yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, Nigeria is Nigeria, and and the thing is, you know, what was interesting and specific about kind of Biden, the Biden family's appearance at the trough. Is right. that, you know, one of the things, you know, essentially in Nigeria or a place like Nigeria, there the, there's a way that bribery is done 
in any of these countries when you don't want to sort of violate the forms, but also no one is really looking. So the Clinton, you know, and, and so for that, you need a fig leaf. And, you know, you can sort of defend your fig leaf and you can say, well, they're not giving money to the Clintons. They're giving money to the Clinton Foundation. Totally separate thing. Does good works. They're not giving money to Joe Biden. They're giving money to his son. You know, and then you basically you basically you basically you, you then you, then you you sort of need a route for like. But, but the idea, you know, if you basically take the idea that, you know, let's say the um son of the president of the son of the vice president of Nigeria is on the, you know, the board of, of Amoco. And, you know, the idea that this does not constitute a blatant bribe from Amoco to, to, to the vice president of Nigeria is like, if you were the right test, basically, for Americans taking bribes overseas is the test that our own government applies to Americans who are paying bribes overseas. And so if you looked at someone, you're familiar with the FCPA, Lot? Uh, uh, I mean, I the mean, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes, of course. Oh, yes. Of course. Right. And so the thing is, if you basically look at any of these structures and you imagine that the situation is re reversed and rather than foreigners bribing Americans, which of course never happens, it's Americans bribing foreigners, which is a bad thing usually done by evil mega corporations, uh, you would basically, very few of these arrangements would pass the laugh test. So, look, 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 look. Hmm. Uh, let, me, let me cut you off. I agree with you. There's been tremendously nasty activity and that a lot of people on both sides did horrific things. I, I've, in fact, I've been a U.S. law enforcement uh, uh, witness about some of this stuff. You can mm -hmm. Google me. I, it's all. It's all. You suggested. You suggest. I have one question. Actually, you Please. suggested in um, your um, article in Tablet that uh, Shokin, the fired prosecutor, was yes. less than a prince, and uh, I can certainly imagine yes. that he was less than a prince. But you infer because yeah. he was less than a prince, that yeah. uh, he was um, not executed, or not executed, not, not fired by Biden's command because he was going after Burisma. And this, the syllogism doesn't really compute to me because I'm frequently- Democratic Party. Let's let's put it this frequently. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying this sort of you know raised the flag because the theory that the prosecutor is corrupt and the theory that the pros the corrupt prosecutor is going after Burisma is not at all inconsistent. If you look at the way things are done, for example, in our dear dear neighbor to the south, Mexico, it's very very you know much the case that perhaps the drugs are is going after you know Losetos, Losetas and ignoring the Gulf cartel. This sure. is not because he's a prince, but because the Gulf cartel has paid him to take on the Zetas. You know, so okay. you know that 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 you know the sort of the firing of Shokin was clean uh, did not does not follow from the fact which I believe that uh, you report that he's not a prince. Okay. Uh, yet again, let me use this this nonsense academic trope. Let us unpack. 
<laughs> Maybe you should you should do the rest of that episode in your, your, I, do your I do Borat, I do good Borat, I do Zelensky. Get me drunk. I, I'm famous amongst the Ukrainian passport. Actually, Vlaslav, the only the only accent that I can really, really speak is an Indian accent. After many years working in the Silicon Valley, I have developed a very good Indian accent and I'm very good at working with the Indian software professional. We okay. found the replacement for Apu, everybody. Apu up and up here with us. Look, I do. I, 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 Sorry. I, I will do Yoda for you. I can do Yoda. I can do Zelensky, and I, I can do Borat. Uh, is so it I have, true that Zelensky have doesn't a... even speak doesn't even speak Ukrainian? Is that is that true? No, he he's Ukrainian. Really good. Does, you, does like, he, it's really good. What? It's like with no he, accent. Like no, like yeah, he, yeah. A native, he was like a native Russian speaker who was more comfortable in Russian, who grew up speaking Ukrainian school. It was like, it was like, much better than your high school French. But his his Ukrainian became truly fluent over the last three years, and his English became like okay. First time I like when I had dinner with him the night before he became president, I I was I, I was like, you're gonna have to improve your English if you're gonna become Davos man. And he didn't like that. I said this. To <laughs> um, Is he still? What's his relationship to Kolomoisky now? The uh... Uh, you're asking all these questions, great questions, and I want to get back to all of it. First of all, I want to do my Zelensky impression. Oh, please. Come on, the Ukrainians. All right, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, we'll get back to Kolomoisky, we'll get back to Zelensky, we'll get back to all these things. One thing at a time, we're having a lot of fun, so we're going all over the place. Let's get back to Ukraine as the breadbasket of what? The breadbasket of a traditional American empire. Let me use the The Russian empire is not the breadbasket of the Washington, D.C. Yes. Lobby class. It's the breadbasket of the third world because, really, like yes. if you look at, you know, grain exports and where they go, do you know what percentage of grain Africa imports? Of, yes. of food? Food? Not, what percentage of African food is produced in Africa? Like 10. Like ten, maybe fifteen on a good on a, in a good year. So right. so basically, you know, you okay. you have this entire continent to the south yes. of this breadbasket, right? And there's just this river of calories flowing across, you know, down the Black Sea, across the Med right. to the the. Sorry. No, I hear you, Mike. And by the way, everybody, sneed those super chats so that the seed can be replenished for those birdies on the screen over there. Excellent, excellent. So you've got this kind of river, river of calories yeah. flowing down the Black Sea through the Bosphorus and right. down, dropping, dropping like a golden rain onto Africa, where where which has basically been sort of transformed into the human equivalent of a salmon farm. And, you know, like like this, like all of this, the black earth, what's the black earth in Russian? How do you say black earth? Cherny something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His is, is just is just, you know, being converted into like food pellets to feed the endlessly burgeoning population of the dark continent. And like comment, is this good? Is this bad? Should there be more of it or less? How do you feel about this? Am I in favor of the Ukrainian state selling grain on the international market and and selling it to poor Africans who need to eat? Yes, I'm in favor of okay. African eating. I mean, look, look, Ukraine is uh, tremendously fecund. I think like 30% of the world's uh, uh, black earth is in Ukraine. It's not a huge part of the world. It's, it's at the point where I think we're about to produce like 400 million people's worth of... Can I, can I use this... Uh, this technical term 
food security. I I I don't like it mm, when a lot of yeah. people food security, but food security, right? Um, basically, like there's 45 million people living on this territory, maybe 40 million, maybe 25, 28 now because of the war. Yeah. 30. But basically, we're producing 10 to 12 times that much food for everybody, right? So it's a very important, including seed oils. Like like Ukraine yeah, is a big yeah. seed oil power. Seed oil. Yeah. Yeah. Seed oil. Like, yeah. The, the the war and the Russian blockade of my uh, beloved Odessa's free deep water ports has totally screwed up food prices, African uh, uh, grain futures on on the African uh, markets. It's, it's all really screwed up. The, yeah. the war has really done a, a big number on the food prices in, in in the world, and it's really difficult for importers and exporters to. Uh, know about prod, uh, 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 you know, future futures and uh, how to uh, distinguish uh, products that come in uh, from from uh, Europe as opposed to Ukraine. It's a very difficult and complex thing, actually, yeah. and it's really put a dent in food security for a lot of different people. Sure, sure. And you so, think of food, yeah. you'd see you see food security as as good. It's a positive thing. Yeah, I, mean, eat, man. I mean, I mean, there is that whole, you know, teach a man to fish type of thing where the ideal would probably be that uh, places in Africa would be able to also become their own bread baskets over time if there was more attention paid to that uh, aspect of this whole thing. But that's a for, for a different stream. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, this, this sort of goes to a question that I kind of want to raise both yeah. on the Ukrainian side and on the Russian side, which is that, you know, of course, uh, you know, the, how many people is this war killed? Uh, 250,000, 300, something like that total. Maybe Depending more. on your, maybe more, maybe more, you know, and, and, and so, and so, you know, you know, like ipso facto, when we look at any public policies, such as the expansion of NATO to the East, and we say, here is a public policy that's oh, resulted in 300,000 uh, deaths. Are you going to, are you, it's not resulting in 300,000 deaths. The stupidity of Putin, his craziness, the cupidity of Russians, their mental diseases, their incapacity to go into the future, their, 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 in, their incapacity to take the whole, return their whole, their ancient province in 2014 when they could have done it with barely a fight. Um, it's actually, Putin is really suffering for his moderation here, right? You know, in 2014, Ukrainian, you know, army was this like little Ruritanian yeah, joke. Yeah, sure, sure. Why didn't, why didn't, why didn't Putin restore the whole, you know, you know, imperial boundaries? He, he should have used more force. He should have. Okay, look, he should have, having decided to go down this route, and and he waited too long. And the Ukrainians built a state and built a national. Well, defense. the Americans built a state for them. Now, I mean, the but Ukrainians built it, and Americans helped. Right? Okay. The, no one does anything for you. Ukrainians survived the war uh, of 2014-15, the first phase of the war, and people helped them get on their own two feet. And they built a massive army. Poroshenko put uh, uh, started building an army. And like, what is it? Ukraine. What is the truth, Vlad? What is the truth about the shelling of Donetsk? Is it true that the Ukrainians have been shelling the civilian center of Donetsk for eight years, <laughs> or do the Russians shelling themselves? Would there have been shelling there if the Russians mm. hadn't occupied Donetsk? Let's start with that question. Good <laughs> like, you know, it's like saying, well, you know, if if my wife had brought me a martini when I came home from work, she wouldn't have two black eyes. You know, I mean, the, uh, did I deserve the martini? Sure, I deserve the martini. I work hard to feed you, bitch. You know, but like, I mean. No, you know, no, And no. what is this thing? The other thing I want to know is this. 
they have this thing where they um they have this thing where they tie people to trees is that a like or like tape them to trees is that a distinctively Literally. ukrainian peasant practice or is that also yeah, practiced yeah, yeah, in russia yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm i'm not a peasant i'd I tape i tape my enemies to trees i know is that is that a specific ukrainian thing or kind of a general slavic experience the tree tape we're going in the direction of, of, of race science, my good sir. <laughs> what yeah. else is this war no, about? Well, anyway, Cur Curtis, you gave Lod so many different things to unpack. He's got a whole bunch of presents waiting for him next he's to the Christmas hoarder. tree. I made him a hoarder. Yeah, and he's going he's gonna to tie his enemies to that tree. Cheerleaders who make jokes about, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, go on. There's on. so many people I wouldn't effing mind tying to a tree myself. Like, I mean, you know. Uh, and what's the word for that? What's the word for tying to a tree? Is that one word you <laughs> have yeah, for the tying to a tree? Okay. All right. Okay. Let <laughs> let me unpack this. Where do you want? Yeah. Where do you even want me to start? Like, I mean, look, is the, uh, are, are Ukrainians shelling Donetsk? I mean, they they were yeah. fighting back against. Uh, uh, they're fighting people. back by dropping, you know, shells in the on shopping malls and the in the city center of a of a you know russian-speaking city that uh, has not been there for eight years it's a ukrainian city man so i'm a russian yes 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 stop it stop it stop it stop it all right all right yeah let me unpack let me unpack it's all good man so get to the unpacking process okay uh Back to back to Ukraine and corruption. This the corruption thing has been overblown, and the Tucker Carlson narrative of, of Ukraine not deserving our support because of historical corruption. Like, well, who cares? The Ukrainians are making great efforts to build a nation state and go into the future, right? And they were uh, kept corrupt largely by by the Russian state, which actually yeah. bribed their elites and and members of the intelligence services and members of the army to be corrupt. Very difficult not to be corrupt in a society which is set up to, to be controlled by corruption. You have to be corrupt. Everyone is uh, embroiled in that. Um, so that's thing, That's one thing. So just because Ukraine was historically corrupt doesn't mean we shouldn't help it uh, uh, fight for its survival against right, a... By giving it money. Well, I, it's not like we're giving it money. We're giving it arms, man. We're paying the bills at the end of a month uh, because the there's the economy is at negative thirty five to fifty percent, and uh, you know economies with negative thirty five percent GDP a year do not survive more than two years. Yeah, uh, I mean, I have I just have this like this use of the word independence just bugs me when you've basically hired you know this whole country as a bunch of Hessians to fight Putin to the last Ukrainian, you know, and and like the nonsense, man. Like no no one made the Ukrainians fight the. In fact, the the, uh, the Biden administration didn't think that they that we would fight, that they would fight. They're fighting back because they actually believe that there's such a thing as a Ukrainian uh, nation state. It's just basic uh, nationalism. It's Anderson, right? Like, imagine the community, right? I mean, you read, you read your Anderson. Yeah, you know, it's a strange kind of, it's a strange kind of, you know, the thing is that in some ways the classic, the really classic nationalism of the 19th and 20th century, the kind of standard template, by which yeah. all nationalisms should be measured is Irish nationalism. And the thing is, one of the things we see about Irish nationalism, and like this is a truth that's um, very hard for Ireland bros to accept, but right. it's, you know, nonetheless obvious. Right. Yes, there was a time 
when Irish nationalism was genuinely Irish in nature, the period of the Irish Confederacy, you know, right. the 17th century. By the days of the Irish Home Rule Movement in the 19th century, really post like Wolf Tone or whatever, we get into the 18th century okay. and all of Irish nationalism exists as a vehicle for the British left to beat up on the British right. And they beat up on the British right because the British right has these kind of roots among the Irish ascendancy, the, you know, yes. the church of the old church of Ireland nobility. But the thing is that, you know, all these Irishmen, they think they're so Irish. They're all like, you know, these like nationalistic heroes, but the reality of their movement is that the sort of the soul and the spirit and the energy of their movement comes from London. And that was basically true sort of all through, like, you know, you don't have, like, you know, this sort of alliance between, like, Gladstone and Home Rule, the disestablishment of the Church of Ireland. You just right. don't have that energy if Irish nationalism is, like, the sort of backward Catholic, you know, you know, wrong side won the Battle of the Boyne kind of pre-19th century okay. nationalism. And so this nationalism gets, you know, causing all kinds of mayhem, murders, you know, like, you know, I always love, you know, uh, Yeats' poem 1919, you know, causing all kinds of death, destruction, just horrific shit. Yeah. And, and, you know, unbelievably, actually this movement in the 20th century does result in a period of what feels like really genuine nationalism and even as some of my east coast friends might say integralism because it culminates in the ireland the ire of de valera of dev and yeah, dev is like has this like frank away cat you know you know the famously dev like sends like uh you know, right. condolences to the German government on the death of Hitler. You know, I mean, say what you want about, you know, um, and, 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 you know, and, and it's this sort of priest ridden state, you know, abortion is published, punished by burning at the stake. All books, but the Bible are illegal. The Bible is illegal too. Right. You know, all this stuff, right, right. I'm, I'm exaggerating. You know, they, and, and it, the point is that the end result, that's an aberration. Everything Irish and Irish nationalism is an aberration. And the true center of Irish nationalism is globalism, is globalism, is what we now call globalism. And so, for example, the, um, the peaceful... I, I, I'm not an as expert in Irish history as you are. I, yeah, I know, but this is just a this is just a template. This is just yeah. a template, and I'll relate it back to the Ukraine. So, right. so the Ukraine, the, the Ukraine, not the Ukraine. The the yeah, and 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 the like, and the that's good. Smell the flower. Calm you down. <laughs> and uh, the, and and. And and I'm gonna horribly butcher this this Irish right, but the this is somehow symbolized by the peaceful wing of the IRA, right. as if there were wings of the IRA. I mean, Martin McGinnis is a murderer, and we all know that. And um, it, which alleged, is called alleged murder. Yeah, which is alleged murder. Thank you. We don't want to get love in trouble here. And and uh, the the um, uh, and and. And and the, the name of this party, Sinn Féin, means ourselves alone. 
right. and Sinn Féin, which is at the cusp of the great dream of Irish nationalism, the reunification of Ireland, you know, the outbreeding of the Protestants by the Catholics in the north, uh, you know, and and what is what are the policies of Sinn Féin, um, George Floyd, uh, you know, transgender twelve-year-olds, like you know, all of these like you know, like very traditionally Irish things. I mean, the the, the soul is completely gone. Yes. You go to if you go my to wife, Dublin wife, and you're looking. My wife, my, wife, yeah. my Ukrainian wife, bother me, darling. Well, that's what people that's what people are afraid of, what Curtis is talking about. And so that's... and so when we go back to the Ukraine, you know, one of the interesting things, let's get let's get into the right wing. Let's get into the right, right edge of Ukrainian society. Let's get into the Azov. Let's get into Pravi Sektor. You know, those people, those people, right? And, 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 you know, and what you find. I like that stuff. I like the nationalism. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, we can at least agree it's on some like, of these things, right? Nice right and 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 my wife my wife she's bobby ukrainian wife i'm on stream by the way i will take this opportunity to say that i have a Substack and it's really good go to my Substack, lovepo.substack.com i have to shill i always have to keep shilling and also we are going to be reading super chats at the end of this discussion so somewhere in the last 15 minutes or so we are going to go to super chats so need those super chats so i can keep supplying the feed look we got a woodpecker we got a beautiful woody the woodpecker here uh eating the seed how do, how do you like that it's very beautiful waking up in the morning with the woodpecker pecking. So here we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was born in Uzbekistan. I was born in Uzbekistan. Yeah, you look like, a, what's the word? You, you look dark. You look dark. You look dark like an Uzbek. It's, what's the word they use? It's a, it's a black ass or something? It's a... <laughs> hmm. I, if I use that word, my career will be over. All right, going okay, going going back, going back to the original discussion so, here. So going going yeah. back, going back to the original discussion. So so you know, I, I'm I'm very curious by uh, about these right wing battalions because the well, okay, let's let's get back because, to the Ukrainian which I support, which I I. I, I, and, I, and and yeah, let me just finish. So so please. so one of the things you know, occasionally these groups have been asked, you know, you're like a nationalist. You've got like you know the black sun as a tramp stamp. Uh, you've got you know the, the yeah. You, yeah, not I. I don't want to ask where right. See, you my, know, my wife, my wife told me. I my Ukrainian French Jewish wife told me uh, that I cannot get the uh, Azov symbol and a, a Megan David uh, on my backside. I wanted one on like the, one and the other one on the other. They'll children. refuse because you can't find a tattoo artist who will do both. But. No, my, <laughs> You can combine them together like Kanye West. <laughs> guys that I knew with, with like Megan Davids. You know how many guys in Azov I know who are like. Oh, hard- yeah, 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 right. And so you have these like hardcore and the whole thing is like funded by Jews, right? And, okay. and you know. And, and- I, once, I once asked Kolomoisky. I like I had I hung out with Kolomoisky once. And I, I, you know, I was sitting with Kolomoisky. And I, can you I explain asked- who Kolomoisky is for our ignorant uh, audience here? Uh, he's a guy, you know, just a, a guy. guy. He's a guy. <laughs> yeah. he's a, I, I met him on the street, you know, <laughs> cool dude. You know, we had a drink together. <laughs> I know, you know, he's just a guy. You know, just a guy you meet sometimes. You know. Uh, also, look, many years ago, when I was a young lad, a young lad, a young lad, when he was still kosher before he became evil, uh, when he was still a kosher oligarch as opposed to an evil oligarch, he had an English language 
television station. I was like 27. I was living in Paris. I was running the English language Kolomoisky television. It was something that I did as a young guy. Like this was this was when he was financing like properly nationalist battalions when he was kosher. I quit my job when we went to Switzerland. Uh, like everyone knows I ran Kolomoisky's TV station. I was a young guy, like whatever you got to like, you do different things in Ukraine. You get, you mm. get like a fucking Azov stamp on your, on your backside. You run- <laughs> By the way, he, he's the biggest oligarch in Ukraine for those who don't know. And he's like the main guy who was he's supporting Azov. No, 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 yeah, no, no. Didn't, didn't he break with Zelensky though? Like Zelensky was his guy and then they broke, right? Uh, okay. Um, uh, okay. So much to unpack here. So much. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. First of all, Akhmetov and Pinchuk, as far as I know, both have more assets. He's not the biggest. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he's he's a, an important oligarch with large swaths of control of the economy. This war, by the way, has de facto de-oligarchized the country. It's really interesting, actually. Oh, that oligarchy, is interesting. The, but yeah, it's really interesting. The, the, because of martial law, the oligarchy has less power than they ever had. The war... Uh, had the really strange effect of getting rid of the oligarchs stranglehold on the economy and the political system. It's really interesting actually the the, the presidential administration has almost no uh, no uh, um, no uh, uh, Jews no it's all Jews. <laughs> Jews all the way down so, Ukraine. <laughs> Ukrainian leadership all Jews all the way down. <laughs> And it's fucking anti it's, it's like one yarmulke on top of the other yarmulke, just like uh, <laughs> just like the cover, just like the car- cover of Curtis's book, Unqualified Reservations. It looks like a yarmulke is on top of another That's yarmulke. Right? Wow, I didn't think of that. You didn't notice that? Yeah, yeah. Give the Jewish salute. But, uh... <laughs> yes. One second, one second. I need my phone. All right. While Vlad is doing that, I just want to tell everybody, if you love BTR, if you love having these combinations of people that you would never get anywhere else, where else, Curtis, would you be able to get a fellow of the Atlantic Council to sit down with you and to talk about this stuff? Huh? I, I don't know. And I don't know yeah, how long. Frankly, I don't know how long we'll keep his job after this. But, you know, it's. Yeah. The, well, the point is that if you want to support BTR, patreon.com slash break the rules. Become a patron right now. You're going to get these beautiful magnets. What do I have to do if I want to support the Atlantic Council? What, uh, what do you want to do if you want to support certain fellows <laughs> at the Atlantic Council? Yeah, that's a better that's a better way of saying it. Yeah. Can you write something on the check that. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, no, no, guys, we have to go through uh, three things. Number I, one, the, I love uh, the council. I love the intelligence services. Right, I love the State Department. Good. who got me out of oh. Belarus in 2020. I love all of it. I love, I love the empire. I love imperialism. I love uh, everything. Like I love. I want to yeah. be hated by it's all the people good. that hate that hate things. I want you all to hate me. I feed off of your hate. I love all right, it. Well, it seems very difficult with Curtis it's very here. Jewish. That's very Jewish. I like it. Yes, I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, but okay. I think we, we talked about we talked about the further right groups. Next yes. thing, I think it's important well, to talk so, about. So, what... so, no, no, we, we no, we haven't talked no. enough about the further right groups. No, oh my no, gosh. No. Okay. No, no, okay, no, no. no. The, the real question, okay. the real question I had before we got we took a deep dive on your you know experience working for the Jewish Rupert Murdoch of, of the Ukraine was the. I asked time out. I asked Kolomoisky like, what about the far right people and Azov? He's like. I never gave money to neo-Nazis. He told me, like Kolmoisky mm. told me. I asked him about neo-Nazis, okay. and, and he well, said, you know, oh, no neo-Nazi policy when he was funding those uh, uh, battalions in 2014, like Dnipro One, Dnipro Two, uh, 
all those battalions that came out of out of his part of Ukraine, out of Dnipropetrovsk. Dnipro- yeah, yeah. I suspect that his definition of neo-Nazi is probably a little narrower than the New York Times' definition, <laughs> let alone the Village Voice. But <laughs> you know, it's like the old, you know, it's like the old American definition of communist, where if you don't have a party card and the card is not up to date, you're not a communist. You know, but. <laughs> I'm a, Ju- like I'm a Judeo-Banderite. I'm a Judeo-Banderite. That's so my oh, yeah. Wow, that's impressive. A Judeo-Banderite. That's really... I'm a, like, I'm a Judeo-Banderite. As is, that's very as is... modern. That's very modern. And and, and the thing yeah. is, you know, what, what's amazing about this this war is I think if you ask, you know, the the neo-Nazis in its oven, presumably they're some... You Maybe they're just... They're, they're not neo-Nazis. They're, they're esoteric Hitlerists, you know, and and the they they've moved beyond Hitler. They're into Miguel Serrano, you know. The the anyway, and and you know you know what they'll say. They're, they'll basically, if you ask them, like, hey, you're actually, you know, I notice that you're like fighting on the side of like George Soros in this war, man, against the and Russian homeland. And 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 you know what they'll say? I believe is they'll say, yeah, we're using him. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, you're using him. Somebody's using somebody. That's clear, you know. <laughs> but well, like they don't care about that kind of thing. This is the interesting thing about Ukrainian, uh, like quote unquote, right wingers. They're yeah. the only right wingers who are pro American and pro NATO in all of Europe. They're the only like even the far right wing battalions are going to be pro American and, and pro NATO. Yeah. Oh, hold on. While Curtis is away, I just want to say, yes. everybody, we are going to be reading the Super Chats in the last five minutes of this whole stream. So be sure to keep sneeding those Super Chats. That is extremely important. And also, if you are on Discord, be right. sure to join the BTR Discord. You're going to have a lot of fun. There's a lot of wonderful people there. And, of course, I mentioned Patreon. We are also uh, making the stream at the same time on uh, other networks. We are doing it on Odyssey. We are doing it on – I mean, who's we? I am doing it on odyssey i am doing it on twitch and there's also going to be a copy on um the new network um whatever its name is the one that sticks likes to use nowadays a uh, rumble there's also going to be a copy of this on rumble as well so btr is everywhere and that's the way i like it anyway let's keep going okay as off back to Azov. Uh, point one one Azov was indeed uh, funded founded not funded founded in 2012 2013 by some really unpleasant people i've written about this my friend anton shkatsov has written about this a lot of researchers have written about this i have talked to these guys i've spent time with them i've, I've hung out with uh, swedish snipers and volunteers in, in the original Azov battalion from 10 12 years ago they were quickly folded into the ukrainian uh, national guard and the uh, brought under the control of the interior ministry uh, then uh, Azov Brigade became Azov Battalion. Uh, actually, uh, which is better, Battalion became Brigade. Right? They were they were uh, their officers became just normie officers from the army from the Interior Ministry. Did they and have they, to get rid of the of the of the of the tattoos, or could they keep keep the tattoos? Well, so, so like the, so basically, let's say like the, of the original hundred people that founded it, there were like forty of them were neo Nazis. Like, but so those forty weren't it's like minority. Uh, it's uh... <laughs> Like, but like, and then uh, they were like diluted by 2,500 other people, mo- most of them who came out of uh, just the, 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 the procedure for, for people volunteering for the battalions. And it became a special forces, special forces 
battalion under the control of the interior ministry with no particular ideological thing. There are all mm-hmm. sorts of people in it, all sorts of ethnicities. I had I, I hung out with like a really far like a like a Odinist neo-Nazi Swedish sniper who became a, a conservative liberal in as serving the Azov. And he was like, bro. He, he was, was de-radicalized. Like, he was uh, he was actually de-radicalized. Odinist who went you, into uh, uh, Odin uh, uh, into Azov and he became a national conservative. And he started he believing in national health care. You know, wow, yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, he became a national conservative. I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to NatCon. You know, I, I know what's going on. <laughs> He's like, I still believe in national conservatism, but he's no longer a white racist national conservative. Right, 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 right. Like, right, he right. from like he went, he went from like he like he was hanging out with Jews, he was hanging out with uh, with I Muslims mean, and the Azov. They're Muslims and the Azov. Sure, Azari. I mean you know one yeah. one thing. I mean this is modern. This is modern racism, right? You know, it's like people have this kind yeah. of stereotype of racism, which is like like your grandfather's racism, right? You know, and it's like a modern racist. Basically, they don't really care what race you are as long as you're a racist. And we're like, Nazov, we're not racist. It's like, it's like, it's like <laughs> bro, we have, one of them says to me, bro, we have, we have ultra right wing patriots of every race, of ethnicity, yeah. of, of every creed. Like, you can, you can be a Jew, a Greek, like a Russian, Armenian. What about a Moscow? Could you be a Moscow? Yeah, tons of Russian, F, like, most of the guys fighting in the beginning for uh, like right sector famously mm-hmm. right sector is now kind of like diluted and it's been disbanded and sort of became just like a organized crime outfit when right <laughs> when right sector was cool back in the day right sector was like real right why are you laughing Bro, why- <laughs> just like it's just like take on you know taking sort of for granted that like you're like you know your your political party your militia and your like organized crime faction are all the same thing i mean Bro, i just see it just makes me understand why so Bro, many generations of young crazy jewish americans have loved Bro, the wild my east and for my people i mean like i like <laughs> yes my yes. my friend Borislav Bedoza was the spokesman of uh, of right sector uh he quit and he went off and did other things and became an MP and whatever. But he, he was like, like openly Jewish, Ukra- uh, Ukrainian nationalist, Israeli citizen, former Israeli uh, MP. And he was he was the he was the speaker of right sector. And he kind of inaugurated this Jewish Ukrainian, uh, you know, Judeo Banderite thing. And then yeah. like right sector was full of F. Ethnic Russians and Russian speakers who were killing Russians for Ukrainian patriotism, Ukrainian nationalism. Sadly, it became like a kind of organized crime outfit later, whatever. So we're not going to talk about right sector. Azov <laughs> did not become an organized crime uh, syndicate. It became a uh, national structure within within right. the within the. Uh, with a, well, I mean, with a, with a profound respect for for human rights. Yeah. Oh, like like the same kind that Putin has, right? That kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, whatever. Dude, like, when they, they, War is hell. Part, they, you know, wait, who is it that's castrating prisoners on the on the front line? Who is it? That's, I, everyone. I don't know. Like yeah, uh, I got, you know, I got, uh, I, you know, I really uh, the 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 reliability of of 
atrocity propaganda coming out of either mm. side in that's that totally, area. Oh, by the way, this is not a super chat, but I have to read this because it's totally related. So Please. Baron O Beef Dips, I love that name. Baron O Beef Dips view here is that healthy young Natsock goes to State Department, gets pumped with massive shot of dark money, doesn't feel good, <laughs> and changes. Liberalism, many such cases. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. That's, that's like, those are my like Nazi, they're liberal nationalists. Mm-hmm. No, but his point is that he's just liberal for the money. He's liberal. He's not really liberal. Oh, like he's, they're, no, they're like they're liberal in their mentality. Like they don't fucking care. <laughs> like, there's, no, there's no like, you know. Like, see, see, I mean, you know, this this sort of leads me into the general like, and I, and I sort of hope that this could become an area of agreement between us, which is the principle that war is war is the health of the state. I don't know if you've heard the line, war is the health of the state. But, you know, no, I think it's actually, uh, it's some Randolph Bourne, I believe. Mm. But it sounds like it could be Carl Schmitt, but it's not Carl Schmitt. It was actually said by, if it's Randolph Bourne, it was a sort of proto-libertarian, liberal, anti-war American who said it. And he was not interested in the health of the state. He wanted the state to become unhealthy. But but when I see both of these countries, I see, you know, it's like when I look at this sort of through basically a public policy angle and I look at the results yeah. of deciding of the of deciding to have this war and deciding on the policy. No, I mean, the thing is that, you know, when you're basically thinking about the government of any country and you're modeling government policies, you, you shouldn't make the mistake of sort of personifying its enemies. You should just focus on results. And so, you know, when I look, for example, at World War II, there's a couple of different, uh, you know, as a Jew, um, you know, there's a couple of, of different ways of looking at that war. You can say, and this is perfectly true, uh, you know, Hitler killed the Jews. This is perfectly true. Um, you know, whether it was six million or 5.5, 5.59, you know, like uh, different different sources disagree. But 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 the fundamental question, the fundamental question for me as a Jew uh, or half a Jew anyway about it's, it's this half, um, about World War Two is World War Two was it good for the Jews? And, you know, so the question of, you know, the Ukraine war, was it good for the Ukraine? Well, it's killed a few hundred thousand of them. Okay, so if you're basically proposing this public policy back in, you know, wasn't Zelensky, you know, elected as a peace candidate? He was the moderate candidate. That's right. That's right. He really really believed that there was a deal to be made and he spent a lot of political capital trying to make that deal. Yeah, the uh, the uh, his his, uh, his American sponsors as well as the right wing groups wouldn't let him, and the bullshit, bullshit. I mean, like the this is not not nasty. I mean, we're not gonna. Okay, okay, okay. Well, yeah. Let's hear. Let's hear. Let's hear. Let's hear. Let's hear, let's hear your story of the Minsk Accords. Oh, okay. Well, that's the that was actually that's the lesser interesting thing that we're talking about. I think we should get back to what you're saying. Uh, is that oh, war, the war? The war is the health of the state. Yeah, so, war, so the thing health. is, war is the health of the state. Yeah, let's do that one. So, yeah. so essentially, you know, and and you've sort of pointed to a couple, of, a few, like we both pointed to sort of intriguing versions of that on right. both sides. So, 
in the Ukraine, what we see is that basically this whole conflict is really uh, to sort of paraphrase the way you're describing it. It's kind of been the comeuppance of the sort of the old Yeltsinish Ukraine with like oligarchs and kind of very, you know, like the last of the Sovaks, you know, like yes. Ukraine today is not really a Sovak place. Correct. Post. Correct. Correct. Where Russia Correct. Is not. Correct. Whereas before the war, it kind of was to a you know substantial extent. Well, a, a lot happened in the last nine years since 2014. A lot, a yeah, lot of yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. And and so and so you know what you what you've done in the Ukraine is that you've cleared out basically this kind of post-Soviet bureaucracy to I'll send you hundred dollars if you stop saying the. I'll send you a hundred bucks if you stop saying the. Like like just say Ukraine, would you? You know, I don't know that I need the money. Um, the 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 and, and you know what puzzles me the most about Ukraine versus the Ukraine is I you know when I hear Russian speaking English, the, I form the strong impression that Russian doesn't have any articles, and right. so to me, for me, saying the Ukraine is obviously I don't. What does that correspond to linguistically in Russian? Of Ukraine, not Ukraine, like. Uh, in yeah. in Ukraine and on the borderlands, like when you say the Ukraine, you're saying that Ukraine has no right to uh, to uh, nationalist represent, like to being a national sovereign. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Sudan yeah. is, but sure, uh, you yeah. know the the the. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in any case, in any case, in, in English, it seems to me, you know, it's like the town of Livorno in Italy uh, was always called Leghorn in English, mm -hmm. which I think is great. And, you know, and, and in any case, uh, you know, you can say it any way you want in, in Russian, yeah, so but I'm my language, my language gonna, is, uh, but, but in any case, wave the flag, but keep going. You yes. wave the flag, you wave the way, what can you do? No, this is, you know, and, and so, you know, what you basically have seen in this country is, is that, you know, war has basically kind of destroyed a number of less efficient institutions and less efficient networks and killed very large numbers of people. But, you know, the people it hasn't killed have been sort of blooded in a way. And you were referring to kind of the new generation of, or, you know, the kind of generational difference between the Russian leaders and the Ukrainian leaders, yes. where the Ukrainian yes. leaders are younger, they're more Jewish, they're more their English is probably much better, and yes. and they're 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 globalists, they're sort of citizens of the world, and yet they're also modern. like modern, 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 and modern, modern, being modern, right, 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 and you know that's you just like. I love the equation of modern with the advance of globalism, like in another world, it might be associated with the advance oh, of Islam. But, you know, the point is, anyway, these guys are tough. They're, you know, the ones who haven't been like torn to shreds by Russian artillery have gone through this process of man making that is war. That is like, I don't know if you know the word. You must know Ernst Jünger. Of course I do. Okay, you know, and and so you know, it really, and and the war that's going you know, we're on. Awfully, we're getting awfully close to saying that the Ukrainians are like are going through uh, the rebirth of the nation through through blood and steel. And, yeah, yeah, and, they're going through a kind of a Spartanization process sure. in a way. I did. Oh, yeah. I, started, I I like. I didn't. I didn't like my. I personally like went to the front and got my own 
family out as refugees and like ran guns and shit. And then like my my primordial Russian Ukrainian culture kicked in and like my 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 grandfather and my great grandfather were all like uh upper, they were apparatchiks and in, in, in the NKVD and like my my mm. primordial cultural kicked in like i became a man on the front like getting sniped right. out. you know i enjoyed it yeah 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 you you weren't you weren't shooting back but even to have bullets fired in your direction is, is quite something i'm sure oh, oh it's great it's great yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah 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 absolutely absolutely and so and so and so you know yeah. when we look at when we look at I, I think that's sort of too rarely faced because from a utilitarian perspective yeah. you know this war has been an utter like any kind of utilitarian perspective which is the only allowable perspective generally normally at the atlantic council i don't think you guys are like sitting around like jacking off lifting weights and reading mishima right maybe you should be but you're not i and, I, I read a lot of mishima i won't say whether i've done some of those other things but you oh, know. yeah good 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 let alone in the office right you know and and the but like the atlantic council is just is not full of like new like spartan warriors getting like jacked and like becoming part of the cult of sun and steel and death okay, and, and blob, the blob uh, generally is not full of such people but there are actually a lot of guys who came out of the army who wind up sure in, sure uh, sure in those kinds of positions so i mean there are some rather like there are some rather healthy individuals in my in my thing in fact i uh, uh I, I was just uh, one of my friends from the from the first of all there are 14 institutes in the atlantic council i don't even know what people in the ever 12 do Right. Wow. Like yeah. they're all self-sufficient and we don't like they they all fund themselves and they all they all run themselves. I, I don't know the hundreds of others people. There's actually literally is a blob and there are people who work on Saudi Arabia and and Latin America and they have expertise that I don't even know the about. Noted, the noted Atlantic state Saudi Arabia. OK, whatever. So like there it's it's an institution. Mine is mm -hmm. run by John Herbst. Uh, uh, who's a lovely guy, a wonderful guy, and uh, uh, tough as hell. Tough as hell. He's he's bright and tough as hell. And he mm -hmm. he was the American ambassador in Kiev. He's the American ambassador in my native Uzbekistan. He is tough as nails and smart. And if the entire American blob was full of guys like John Herbst, Americans would still rule the world as they rightfully should, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because because the Europeans debase themselves and. We shouldn't allow the uh, Russians yeah. to do it. Right? Uh, clearly, I mean, like, I'm I'm being facetious, but like, of course, whatever. of course, of course, of course. But 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 you know, this thing of having you know the important thing there is is you know one of the key differences between like one of the you know for me the like biggest historic question of our time is are we living yes. in the in the late roman republic or the late roman empire and yes. one of the huge and one of the huge differences you see in the late roman empire is this horrific distinction between the military cursus honorum, the, the process of becoming a military leader and the process of becoming a civilian leader and the civilian leaders are these like a fate fops you know, who just speak I'm in a feet fop. Look, I'm look, you can be both. I'm in a feet fop. I was really literally reading Aubrey Beardsley's decadence and desire before I got on here. I've also been to war. Like you can be both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can be both. You can be both. Caesar Caesar was both, right? You know, and, and yet there's no one in four hundred AD who's both. And and so much and and mm. that sense of that sense of being both both 
you know, and then he's going to go off screen and then like blow up a goat with a hand grenade and rape the corpse. Right. You know, and, and the, the, um, it's, 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 it's Eastern Europe, you know, and I was told that I'm not allowed to say live on CNN or Fox news. Uh, Zelensky's penis is the tip of the NATO spear. I was told I'm not allowed to say. Wow, that. wow. Was, you yeah. know, you know. Well, as a Jew, you know, it's sort of the length of the spear. It's like the. <laughs> but we are very. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just saying, I'm just saying. I think Ukrainian Jewish fop is the is the yeah. that will take Western civilization into its proper. Uh, matrix i do believe well, yeah i mean they, they say there's they say there's basically there's three kinds of jews right, right. there's ashka i mean there's there's book jews there's right. money jews and there's sex jews and the goal of every jew is to unite all three of these in a holy trinity and exactly you know and 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 and, and you know once you're both the money jew and the book jew like you know the third i mean you know and 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 so but it unlocks but like, the eye of horus yes it unlocks the eye of horus it's a chakra you know and um, the the and so in any case so so sort of the, you know the case on the ukrainian side and you sort of see this in like you know the little like drone crews in the ukrainian military they're like yeah. nerds who like kill people with like flying bombs and and it's well, also cool. buff. I mean, I, they're buff. I've hung out with I've hung out with those guys on the yeah. front line. I've hung out with those guys in in like I was at the Battle of Severodonetsk, hanging out with uh, with uh, drone operators. Those guys are really great. I really like those guys. They're fun and mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're fun. IQ. And and they're like they're yeah. they're like they're basically guys who are they're they're hipsters who come out of IT who also like lift right. and get girls. They're great. They're yeah, healthy. Yeah, yeah, healthy. Yeah, yeah. Well, can I yeah, tell you? Yeah. I, I told you before. Uh, my wife is in the film industry. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife has. She's a Ukrainian film producer. She has ten of her girlfriends in the Ukrainian film industry, uh, of whatever level of friendship or camaraderie or frenemy, whatever. There are ten women in her social circle, in just her in her cultural industry in the film industry, just tiny in Ukraine, who have lost their husbands. Ten of my wife's girlfriends in her industry, in the film industry, have lost husbands in the war over the last. And that's a, that's from a base rate of how many? That would be like one in ten, one in seven, one in five. If you're counting all the women, you know, all the ones who 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 haven't lost their husbands or lost them and to like not the war, but, but another woman or something. A member of uh, like the writing community or the film community or in LA. Any picking any random woman in LA, and she knows ten of her girlfriends who lost uh, a husband fighting in Iraq or something. It's sure, it yeah. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable, and and you yeah. know, to me, you know, sort of the irony of the Ukraine war or of any war like this is that you can find that to be a good thing only if you believe that you know war gives us meaning and war is the health of the state only if you believe an ernst Jünger vision of the transcendent power of war to like restore and revivify humanity and, like, and and I, and 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 yet we live in a society in which yeah. this belief is almost unknown and so you know you have this strange paradox a, a positivist national socialist mussolini thing that came out of 
various movements in the early 20th century. Not sure, sure, sure. The RDT, you know, Mussolini yeah. has, you know, Minifrigo, you know, right. You know, like, like they're all, they're all doing this stuff. And, and, you know, and what's so strange is that the spirit is kind of marshaled in the service of the blob and of like, basically the sort of global empire I mean, I of like, you be, know, but I just happen to be like a diaspora weirdo. I mean, I, I'm special. Like, there are not that many people in in the Atlantic Council like me, or in the sure. world. Sure, I mean, sure, sure, sure. No, absolutely. Most yeah. of the people in the Atlantic Council are exactly what you think they are, right? You know, like like they. I mean, they're not even they're not even anatomically correct. You know, and I mean, and the, yeah. the 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 some of them are. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know how, how much you know, right? You know, like um, degrees. I mean, like it's 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 a. It's a nice institution. It's been nice yeah. to me. I mean, like, it's yeah, 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 sure. I mean, uh, it's like, it's like I always tell people, you know, I, yeah. I like grew up in the belly of the State Department, right? And, and it's really true that like the best people at state are like good enough to come to Silicon Valley and be the best people in Silicon Valley, right? It's yeah. just the whole institution is this like, you know, just cancer on humanity you know but like it's a cancer on america because it's run badly and these people are incompetent at ruling the world or or being this, good see this is like this is like a theory of platonic forms this is like you know i i used to feel this way when i was in neocon i was just like well you know america america can can restore democracy to to, to germany so why can't we restore democracy to iraq uh, and it turned out no, actually. That's a completely couldn't. different culture. That's the other thing. Ukraine is not comparable racist. to Iraq. Racist. It's not racist. It's culturalist. Culturalist. Completely different culture. I agree with my fellow Jew Slav. That's right. I, I mean, yeah. and 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 like, yeah. I mean, because you, know, you got the, Arab Jews living in Israel who are of the same civilizational level as the uh, Ashkenazis that are living there. So right. to me, race is not a factor well, at all. Well, I don't know yeah. about that. Well, I mean, yeah, okay. I don't. You know, now, I know. Okay, we're getting, I know the Ashkenazis. Now we're getting into be. the Mizrahi question. You know, like I'm not really sure. <laughs> you no, 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 no. But you, but you get my point, right? It's like we have these different civilizational levels, and so yeah. And when yeah, we were, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yes, yeah. it's all culture. Absolutely, absolutely, no question. And and you know, no, no question at all. And 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 and, and, what, and we're, so, we're Central Europeans, man. Come on, can you bring can you bring democracy to Austria? If you can bring democracy to Austria, and and I'm Hungary, really not sure democracy has ever been brought to Austria, but I know that we have the illusion of democracy. But but the um, I'm not sure. You know, the the and 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 the like. And, and so you're basically seeing, you know, the, this paradox of like this kind of the Sparta of Central Europe, you know, in like service to like progressive education or whatever is fascinating. And then you have the sort of equally paradoxical thing of, of Russia, which is this, you know, sort of very, very, you know, there's a lot of post-Soviet stuff in there. There's a lot of the like Ministry of Defense, you know, seems to have been like kept pickled in oil since 1961 or something. A lot of very, very Soviet thinking at all levels. You still have the incredible tradition of the Soviet military engineering complex that still exists as people are still out there. Both sides. Both sides are using the same tanks against each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, also the Russians are still building new tanks. Like, they're still innovating. They're still building new... The Ukrainians are also building new tanks. They're also, like, Antonov also 
so it builds airplanes, man. Like, like yeah, you know, it's you know, not. So the Russians got more of the Soviet industrial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, you had this incredible Soviet industrial complex. Right. You know, most, 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 most of the engineers, uh, you know, were obviously um, they were. Um, uh, oh, they were Jews. Um, you know, but but the you chauvinist pig. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 be that as it may i was always i was always sad that like beer bijan didn't didn't succeed like you know yeah, me too, um, me too. my great great my great great uncle isaac donevsky the composer actually wrote the the theme song in the in the to the film about the, the seekers of happiness i have a very special mm-hmm. i i i had it played at my wedding uh, wow. the the, uh, the bijan theme song i had it played at my wedding because my great great uncle actually wrote it, so I have right. some real Bijan Yichis, I have to say. <laughs> uh, well, yichis. my 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 grand my grandparents were American Stalinist Jews, and they they always regretted that they never made the in tourist pilgrimage to to Russia. And when they passed, one of the when my grandfather passed, one of the things I found in his possession was this um, bottle of uh, Georgian vodka that appeared to date to the 1970s. Uh, which not vodka, cognac, Georgian cognac. Uh, which uh, it was, oh, it was good cognac. It tasted slightly of motor oil, but other than that, it was good cognac. And, and the uh, yeah, and and so yeah, in any case, even on the Russian side, we also see, I think, in less and less of a way, you know, the Russian mil- Ministry of Defense is very Sovak, right? Wagner, right. not so much. You know, uh, like Wagner, I, I really want everyone to see. Vladislav, you can testify to that sort of accuracy. This film, Wagner, Best in Hell, is that you know? Uh, it's, I like. In, look, I hope every one of those people burns. Like, I, I hope. I, I know. I, I know. I know. I worked the Ukrainian artillery. God bless the Ukrainian artillery guys tonight. We're killing the Wagner guys. Let every one of them go home in a coffin. Every single one of them. I, but it's a, good, it's a good. It's a good movie, though, isn't yeah, it? Yes, I, okay. yes. And there's like, new recruits yeah. that are uh, coming out from England as well, like the uh, yeah. green ones. But at the same time, they've been trained by the best of the best. So there is that also uh, coming uh, to a uh, Bakhmut uh, near you. But also, I want to make sure, guys, how much time do you have? Because I want to get to the super chats as well. But there is still so much to talk about. Like I don't know. Well, you know, the question, the question of how, like, I'd like Vlad to speak to the question of how and to what extent he can see this war revitalizing the Russian state. Oh, the Russian state. Oh, uh, okay. Is it going to revitalize the Ukrainian state? Absolutely. I mean, the Western Europeans and the Americans are going to pay for that. And the Americans are going to bail us out. Once we win, the paycheck will be, will be taken care of in the same way that the Poles were forgiven their, uh, their, their, uh, uh, their debts for bringing down communism or the Lechwalesi and all this. They were they were forgiven uh, sovereign debts um, because of the. Uh, well, they the, might even they might even be paid off with all this money we stole from the Russians. But yeah, like the the Russian the Russian the Russian like is is ha- look the the Russians because they're very competent at macroeconomics save their economy. And the economy of Russia has balanced out because of uh, of uh, balance of payments, because the, 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 the energy prices went up and that uh, kind of uh, the 175 billion that they got in extra cash from the increased energy sales because of energy prices went through the roof. And Russia literally became a petrol state. It was like 60 percent. Who, who, who I've lot. I just out of curiosity, I had a question who blew up the. Um... Uh, that uh, the Nord Stream, who blew up that pipeline? 
Oh, this is the least interesting thing. Is that you <laughs> Noted. Let's go on. Yeah. So, like, okay, but Russia, Russia uh, lost like two hundred billion dollars in FDI and foreign direct investment, but they balanced that out with extra gas oil receipts. And Russia now really is a a, a petrol state, uh, where like 85 percent of uh, government um, government uh, tax receipts come from the from gas energy exports, right? So it, it's really become a petrol state. It really has no exports of anything other than that at this point. And it, the fact that they don't import anything, the 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 balance of of payments has been balanced out but they're really good at macroeconomics they have a really deep bench of of excellent technical personnel in in the macroeconomics and a lot of liberal quote-unquote liberal reformists went into the government and they saved uh russia the, the russian economy is down like three percent when we were thinking it'd be negative 12 the first year negative 15 negative 20 year uh two and three the the russian state economically is not going to be basket case but it's going to be like iran as opposed to north korea and it's going to be a uh, uh, it's going to be cut off from the world. It's not going to have microchips. It's not going to evolve. It's going to lose the best of its population. It's going to have brain drain. It's going to have um, uh, uh, it's going to have uh, uh, very uh, it's going to have very very serious uh, problems. Well, I mean, talk, talk about talk about the relationship between Russia and China for a moment, because when you say, uh, you know, it's not going to get uh, chips from uh, from from China, from Turkey, uh, there's a lot of uh, land borders there where uh, U.S. customs personnel are not really welcome. Um, you know, I, I, I think and, and more specifically in terms of this alliance of like, it's sort of a pity that these these partners, these Ameri these enemies of the blob don't really trust them, trust each other. I think Russia yeah. with basically Chinese military production would be very hard to resist. But the Chinese don't want to rock the boat, uh, which is generally how in the long run your boat sinks. And, the, you know, I'm a little, I, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm just I'm honestly a little butthurt. Can I say this? I'm a little butthurt over the poor quality of the work that is done in Russia and China attempting to influence Western politics, attempting to do the kinds of things that the West does, color revolutions, whatever. I'm just like, guys, you got dollars coming out the wazoo. Out the wazoo. And like the best like the Russians, you know, can do in like influencing American politics is to buy like fifty thousand dollars of Facebook ads, you know, that are like, you know, um, yeah, um, Jesus, like, is, okay, you know, that's all it's all true. But like it, it, there really is a lot that uh, that American mil military intelligence colossus can do to dissuade. Uh, revisionist powers from doing all sorts of stupid stuff and relying on the Russians. I mean, there's just a lot that the that the Americans can do and are doing successfully and un united with Brussels and the Europeans. Yeah, that, that and the Chinese and the Chinese don't really have, you know, the both the Russians and the Chinese have never really had the confidence to behave as genuinely independent powers and to basically well, realize to realize that their sovereignty and their collective sovereignty vis-a-vis -vis the United States is like absolutely essential. You know, they still send their kids to Harvard, right? I'm just like, what, what do you, what, what, why would you do that? Right. Maybe a little less than they used to, but you know, the sort of the sense of being, 
I mean, there'll be a lot less of Russian elites sending their kids to Western schools now. The, I mean, Russia really is cut off from the West for the time yeah, being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very healthy, I think, from the Russians. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think the kids appreciate it that much. That's the other thing. Like, a lot of these four, uh, Russian kids, they don't want to live in Russia. They want to live in the West. They want to spend their lavish uh, amounts of money on uh, everything that the West has to offer while using Russia as an extraction economy. Correct. I just, yeah. I just okay. want to make sure, by the way, are we good on time once again? Because I really want to get to the super chats. I don't want to let the super uh, chatters have, down. I have 12, 15 minutes. Uh, my wife wants me to go to bed in 10. I said 10 minutes. Let's make it 12. All right. Okay. Let's do the uh, uh, super chats. And I really, I really think we have so much more to talk about. We still did not get to what exactly the globo homo homogenous, like we were talking about before with Vlad, uh, whether that is a legit threat to Ukraine Curtis, or not. Oh, Curtis, I love you. I, we can do this again. Fine. We can definitely do this. This is fun. This is, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's, you know, we're really straddling kind of the area of comedy and news here. But, but <laughs> well, I think that. Uh, better than really... John Stewart. Better I, than John Stewart. Well, I ran into John Stewart in the Hay Adams Hotel. I was staying in the Hay Adams, the nicest hotel. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I was staying at the Hay Adams in February, putting together a, a conference, a big Jewish conference, the Ukrainian Jewish Federation. Federation. I, I had the idea. Um, I was putting together a big Jewish conference on Ukraine. And I was staying at the Hay Adams, and so was uh, and so was John Stewart. And I ran into you. Mean you mean you mean you mean Leibowitz? I well, I, I, I yeah, I, I do, Mr. Leibowitz. I ran into John Stewart in the elevator, and I said, "Why did you get so woke?" And he's like, I'm not woke. What do you mean? I was like, woke. And he's like, I really know what you mean. I said, why are you so woke now? And he's like, and he really made me define the word woke for him in the middle of the elevator. Nice. Yeah. And, and, and if you've did... seen if you've seen John Stewart's monologue on the lab leak thesis, it is one of the funniest pieces of like political mm. propaganda ever recorded. But did John Stewart have any final reply to you when you finally did define what woke was? Or no, he or he looked kind of... confused. He looked uh, confused. And he's, uh, he's like, "Why would a nice-looking gentleman such as yourself, in nice black glasses, who looks obviously like belongs in this hotel, obviously is paying seven hundred dollars a night for to, to be in the same elevator?" He, does. he looks like a Brahmin. Maybe it's the lighting, but you look Indian. Like, like that's like a you know, <laughs> like takes a day, you know. It uh, takes, I mean, it's a Jewish, you know, it's like, it's like my dad who is, I'm only a half blood. He married a Shiksa, but half my dad prince. is a full blood. It's a full blood. Has blood in there. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you do, you do. And, and you have to, because my dad, I, as I said, he was, uh, he was posted to Nigeria in the foreign service. And once right. uh, in Nigeria, he was mistaken for a Nigerian by a Nigerian dude just comes up to him and starts speaking Hausa. You know, he looks kind of like Muammar Gaddafi, Ralph wow. Nader, you know, that kind of look, you know, um, an Arab. Maybe they have Arabs up there in the north, you know. But yeah, so he he marries a Shiksa and uh, I marry a Shiksa. And uh, my older son looks like he uh, could be recruited for the Hitler Youth, you know, so um, um, competitive athlete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, super chat time. Right, Here super we go. chats, super chats. All right, Peter Juvenal. I wonder if he's related to that other certain juvenile. He's, put, he's putting the Jew back in juvenile. Mm. But uh... Peter Juvenal, five dollars. Cheers, Curtis. We met years ago at Urban Farm Dispensary in San Francisco. Sec Ops, man. Also, Ka Sakawa's book, Frontline Ukraine. Panel thoughts. Uh, okay, Sakawa, Sakawa is 
of the people who are not friendly to Ukraine, amongst the political scientists mm. who know Ukraine stuff, amongst uh, people who are even Ukrainian nationalists, Sakao is considered to be the most intelligent and not insane version of the of the uh, uh, narrative that we don't like. Sakawa okay. is a proper political scientist. Sa- uh, Sakawa, some of his judgments are incorrect, but I would uh, no one, uh, no one amongst even very serious people like uh, uh, Robert Magochi, uh, serious people read him, and he, he's take he's taken seriously by serious Ukrainianists, Ukrainian political scientists. So I don't agree with his worldview, but of, of he's the most intelligent expositor of that worldview. I hope that's he's, a, he's, he's an expositor of essentially the pro-Russian worldview, you might say. Well, I mean, yeah, whatever. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. I don't, well, he I doesn't mean, take he doesn't take Ukrainian nationalism seriously. Like, yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. yeah. But he's, mm-hmm. he's taken seriously even by like uh, uh, Taras Kuzio, who I'm friendly with. Taras Kuzio thinks he's he's his work. His books are worth reading as far as i remember don't taras don't come after me do you know, you know uh, what you should read you you you've read, vlad i you must have read this or maybe you haven't is the um the great uh czech novel uh the good soldier schweik oh, of course of course yeah yeah Ugh. it's of so course. like it's just that was, yeah. a, that was a huge thing in the soviet union that was huge. really schweik yeah. wow yes that that book was translated into Russian. well it was a communist hushek was a communist right yeah. so like, you know i mean that, was, that is like that is in the basic that is not an esoteric reference. That's just in the in the uh, uh, Soviet uh, book. So, uh, I hope America that's a good question. Mm. That Canadian uh, political scientist is. I don't agree with him, but he's worth reading. Next super chat, Anon with two A's, ten dollars. Thank you so much, Anon. Curtis, do you have thoughts on RFK Jr.'s campaign? Could he be a purple Caesar? Um, no, I think he's more like a purple indica. But um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, um, you know, I, I like like the the you know, he looks he's got like presence or whatever he's yeah, got presence he's got. But but he's basically and, and he's got, you know, there's sort of a lot of distinction in his like bearing and his frame and you know look as a monarchist i i respect the hereditary you know principle the problem is that he basically took this like kind of kooky kooky environmentalist science that everyone kind of takes for granted and and pretends to take seriously and then he applied these like kooky this sort of these principles of kooky science to like medicine sort of mixed with this these weird you know anti-corporate conspiracy theories like good conspiracy theories are now like rightist conspiracy theories but rfk is so old that he has like leftist conspiracy theories so you know there's sort of this little bit of like you know you can kind of imagine him like you know you know i I mean has anyone asked rfk jr where he stands on the question of mumia abu jamal (laughs) <laughs> right, you know, and 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 so you know because uh, like, like interview with him that was great in tablet in my beloved tablet. Uh, oh wait, who who did the interview? David Samuels. Mark oh yeah, Samuels. yeah, yeah, yeah. I like you know I liked I liked that interview. Right, I I liked this. I did read the Samuels RFK interview. I think that Samuels is very good at kind of like everyone knows that you know 
RFK is a kook and you know but like he was trying to bring out there's a kind of interviewer that basically wants to bring out this like boring story and talks to like a kooky person and gets on like the most kooky subjects possible but David Samuels didn't do that he was like I'm gonna bring out the real like the faded gentility of this sort of the last kind of the last pretender of like a line of of kings you know he's like the rfk sort of reminds me of of um uh i believe uh, henry the ninth uh yeah. you know who who you know the he, he became a cardinal in the catholic yeah. church he was in italy uh yeah. then he was an out was it charles no it was bonnie prince charlie who became the alcoholic right you know and so like basically if you look at the like the later stewards they sort of decline into these like louche characters i think yeah. um Henry the Ninth is like finally given like a pension by you know George the Third or something, right? You know, so there's there's clearly like there's some great personal greatness there. There's a lot of decline. I don't know what's up with his voice. It's like so gravelly, and you know, I just think it's probably he's some, been some doing... disease. I don't know. Something's going on there. No, 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 giant, 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 giant bong hits. You know, that's that's ah. what I'm thinking. And like, I can, you know, there's probably like a Kennedy, you know, brand. Never mind. But like the the um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, like it's just like you know the 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 Democratic Party. That's all I care about, man. I'm a one. I'm a. I, I would have voted one for one issue. I yeah, don't want. Yeah. If not for the, if not, uh, they're all bad for me. DeSantis, mm -hmm. Trump, uh, RFK. Mm -hmm. At this point, the only issue that matters is the issue of the Battle of Bakhmut. That's the only right. issue that matters. That's uh, the I only issue of the models. Yeah, uh, and 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 the Bidens. The Bidens have always been strong on Ukraine. And uh, uh, well, I was a, I was a federal law enforcement witness against Hunter Biden. F that mm -hmm. creep. Uh, but the question, the uh, uh, screw them. I mean, like, I don't, I don't like any of that. I, I don't. You know, like my friend, my friend, my friend Still, Hadrian, my yes. friend Hadrian, who's a film guy, and I had a stupid film yes. idea, uh, which was, uh, you know, like any stupid film idea, it's precast. So the casting needs to be. Do you know Steve Coogan, the British actor? 24-hour power people, party people. Uh, you know, uh, Steve, he does these great road movies, and Steve Coogan would play Jordan Peterson. And and then you would have um, George Clooney, and Wait. Mr. Clooney would be playing, of course, Hunter Biden, yeah. and they're together in a rehab in Serbia, and they break out and they find life and love on the road, and and the, the film the film is called Bucko, and. and <laughs> Buck up, Hunter. And everyone, everyone, every, Bucko, and everyone, which Jordan Peterson says a lot, and everyone yeah. who hears about this movie is like, this must be made. It will never this be must made. Be made. <laughs> it must be I made. Will, I mean, I can you? I mean, anything. I don't care what Hunter is doing. George Clooney as Hunter Biden is just like a slam dunk. And I, I, I uh, by the way, for for the record, I uh, there's there's no one. I mean, I was I was hanging out with the Wall Street journalist. Uh, mm. who was investigating Hunter Biden, and I was like, we're drinking. I, I won't say his name, but everyone knows who it is. It was a really grizzled older gentleman, a Wall Street Journal mm -hmm. journalist, old right. hand Russia. And uh. you know, and I, was, I was like, he was investigating the, the laptop and all this. And I was like, how much, like, do you really like this? Like, just... I was like, do you, do you respect Hunter Biden at all? He's like, it looks at me like I'm an idiot. He's like, no. Like, it's like, why would you even ask that? It's like, <laughs> It's like why would I mean, you? I'm just. 
adjusting yeah. my shirt to get my Nixon pin in here. Yeah. I just oh, nice. Shipment of vintage Nixon pin. Here we go. Next shirt. super chat, everybody. Adrian Delgado, uh, $5. By what criteria would Curtis consider a conflict to be legitimate for either side? Is it just might makes right at the end of the day? Uh, that's an excellent question. I, I think that I'm a believer in people call me an isolationist. I'm definitely an iso I'm more isolationist than the isolationists actually. But, uh, yeah, I believe, I believe in the old Japanese policy. Uh, that's real isolation. Uh, what's it called again? Um, God, uh, been a long day. Um, but, uh, you know, really just no, no trade. Hikamori. Like no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 so but but if you look at if you oh, look Japanese at Japanese government strong supporters of Ukraine, five billion dollars to Ukrainian military. J uh, I know some Ukraine refugees who wound up in in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. They weren't allowed to go in at any of the restaurants or anything. They're uh... Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I, I, I just love you go to Japan and there are these, you know, signs in, in the windows that say mm -hmm. only for Japanese. And I think it's it's just uh, it's a racist like it just well, I've seen the really ramen documentary. Moment. They had like an Australian guy there. It's all good. Yeah, he. Yeah, some places will 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 admit you, but they, they'll look at you funny, and they don't speak English. And um, yeah. So so if you look at classical international law as opposed to this ridiculous globalist blob thing that was invented by really the English in the 19th century, and this like international law, the community of like rules or whatever. The real international law, the international law of Grotius and Vattel, is a wonderful system. It's essentially a peer-to-peer -peer system. Read. Vattel's Law of Nations. I, I've wanted for a while. Maybe I'll do this because of this piece, like analyzing the Ukraine war in terms of Vattel's Law of Nations. And oh, come, on. come on, what do you mean? Come on. I mean, yeah, you on. know, you just know what the result of that would be. Like you immediately smell a rat. You're like, I cannot get a grant for that. You know, that would be bad, right? That would come at all, uh, right? That would uh, not not fit the program. And, and, and not like the answer. <laughs> and 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 um and 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 this this sort of was all worked out. And so, what you think of a war as in the real international law is a war is like a lawsuit. It's like a tort. You know, Louis the Fourteenth famously had cast on his cannon the phrase "ultima ratio regum," which means the last argument of kings. And so the idea of classical international law is that it's like a natural law, natural in the sense of like you have a bunch of, you know, shipwrecked men on an island. How you know, There's no law. There's no rules. How should they treat each other? What is the right way for like sovereign powers acknowledging no overlord, no State Department, no Washington, no nothing? How should these nations treat each other? in such a way as to, you know, best get along. And the answer is that they should each be very cognizant of their own rights and their own interests, and they should basically fight only in self-defense. And the thing is that, you know, you have this concept, for example, in modern international law of the aggressor. And it's strongly suggested that whoever, like, whoever's troops march first are the, is the aggressor and is therefore bad. And, you know, whereas, like, that's like saying in a lawsuit, like, the plaintiff is always the bad guy. Like, you know, I've been the defendant. I've been the plaintiff. You know, I'm always the good guy. You know, but, like, you know, the, the, and, and so when you basically view the situation in terms 
of the law of nations and you basically view Russia as a sovereign nation, then according to Vittel's definition, Ukraine is very much a protectorate and the, the actions of that protectorate, I mean, Vittel has this whole passage of like, okay, you know, you see the country across the river, like fortifying its border and bringing tra- tanks up to the frontier and all of that. Is that a justification for war? Well, what is he doing? What is his intent? And the thing is when you, you know, what is obviously the really going on here. And when you see the like, not at all hidden desire of will take me two hours to unpack all. Yeah, the this is going to be for the next. This is for the next. All right, this is all right. teaser. Clearly, clearly, this is so much fun that we Law need to turn it into a series. And and <laughs> and Vladislav will. Um, oh my yes. God, I said Siri, and uh, and my and my Siri popped up. Vladislav oh, no. will. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, we got um, we, we got to get through these final super chats right, over okay. here, everybody. Yeah, okay, let's need the feed. All right, I and you. A new way, a new way forward. Who is, by the way, one of the great BTR patrons? Patreon.com/slash/BreakTheRules. Nine ninety nine. Curtis, could you uh, offer comments on patchwork? Do you believe this is still a valid model? And what do you think the biggest impact this distributed governance model could have on the current? Oh sure. Conflict? I mean, it's it's the yeah. same. It's the same. Uh, you know, it, like my ideas from like fifteen years ago are no different from the ideas of classical international law. They, these are ideas that go back to like the Greek city-state system of 500, 600 BC, which was a network of really hundreds of like genuinely independent and sovereign states. Now, you know, <clears throat> as, um, you know, Carol Quigley uh, pointed out, are you familiar with the concept of Carol mm-hmm. Quigley, um, Vlad? Um, this actually Carol- the first this is the tragedy and hope. This is the first thing you've said in two hours that I actually have not heard of before. Mm. Carol Quigley. Wow. You got to do, do a deep dive on Carol Quigley. I'll, I'll send you a and, copy of tragedy and uh, hope. Yeah. Tragedy and hope is a very boring book uh, with a very, with a very intriguing, um, you know, two page uh, uh, segment in it. Um, the, uh, but, 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 you know, one of the thing, I think the thing, the book that Carol Quigley, who is the like, the Georgetown professor of international relations, mentor of Bill Clinton and a thousand other young men, and and Nahoma, and and you know, Quigley's, um, yes. you know, main point was that international, the structure of international relations is dictated by military technology, and the military technology of the present. Um, is essentially a global military technology, although really the Ukraine war is being fought under these sort of strangely restrictive rules that basically rule out truly revolutionary 20th century military innovations like the nuclear bomb, which with which has just, you know, like the potential of that technology to cleanse the world is just like so unfulfilled, right? You know, and and the 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 best right it's for the like we could best. fix everything we could fix everything in 15 minutes you know and, and everything and and like like you talk about war being the health of the state like nuclear war is the health of the future it's the health of the planet right and and so you know we we have exactly right look at chernobyl right you know our how do you say it in ukrainian chernobyl uh something something you know and 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 the like right. Yeah, so so you have this intrinsic problem in a multipolar order, which is that 
military technology of today basically militates toward large areas of sovereignty. And what you want is small geographic areas of sovereignty. And that's why really the future that I envision today is a future where war is carried on by strict rules that exclude, uh, you know, explosives and electricity. It has to be the arm blanche, you know, war without basically, you know, well, industrial in technology can make a sword, but like, you know, this is the kind of, you know, you know, Junger even in, in his memoirs sort of laments the depersonalization of war that comes with like shit, like artillery. Right. And if like fighting and dying was like the he edge of it. Yeah. 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 And, and, and if, and if living and dying was like the edge of a sharp blade or at most, I mean, the Pope tried to ban the crossbow in like the 11th mm. century, maybe they should have succeeded. I think you have to allow like springs, basically elastics has to have to be permitted. Those should be the rules of the new warfare. And how you enforce those rules is another question, and that's a very interesting, interesting. question. I don't, but like, I don't like all this white phosphorus stuff. I don't like. I don't yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, well, no, as a as, as a quick aside, uh, for the Russians back when it was still Imperial Russia, the officers they could not bear to hide when the artillery was firing at them, so they would just stay put and let themselves just like be a sitting duck, just because it was considered dishonorable to run away. They would get they would get dirt on their Napoleonic uniforms, but you know the. Uh, you yeah, know, you have to worry about your uniform situation. It's very important. I mean, like, mm -hmm. so. all right. Next super chat. We are almost done here. Barrett Williamson, five dollars. What is the path to Ukrainian victory that accounts for the nuclear threat? So again, I almost feel like these are going to be for next time. Like I'm going to remember these super chats, and yeah. for the next time, we're going to say them because I, I do a thirty. Like we're going. I'd love to do another one with Curtis. We have a lot to discuss. We'll do part two, but I'll do a thirty second version of that if you don't okay. mind. Okay. Okay. Go for it. But first of all, the uh, the, the Russians have been told by the Americans, the Chinese and the Indians, this is like, you use nukes, we will go all out. They've, they've been threatened in ways that we don't even know about. We don't actually know what the threats are, but they're really bad. That's one thing. Two, uh, the, the Russians do have tactical nukes that nobody else does. They are capable of like just killing 50,000 people in Kiev with a tactical nuke, but they, they are not going to do it for now. Uh, partly because it's just too close to the Russian border. They've annexed four more regions, technically of Ukraine's 24, 25 regions, five already part of the Russian Federation. What are you going to do? Throw a bomb, throw a nuke on, Zaporo on Zaporozhye, and then what? I mean, you're, you're technically are supposed to, it's already part of Russian federal territory. What, what would you do? You know, you can't, you can't use nuclear tactical uh, equipment too close to Russian troops. Wind goes in the other direction. You get hit by the by the nukes. It, it, there's a lot of calculations uh, on the geopolitical level, but there are a lot of calculations on the fact that the the area that we're fighting over is not huge. I mean, it's about the size of France. If you're going to nuke something around Zaporozhye or Donetsk, Russian citizens in Rostov and uh, uh, like even Petersburg are going to get a whiff of that fairly quickly. Why would you want that? It's just you know, you, you, you can't use a nuclear weapon on something that is that close to you. There's a reason we nuke the Japanese on the other side of a planet. You can, right? Like, if you if you actually want to occupy the country and you want to occupy all this space, why would you want to irradiate your own land and your own people? That, that's part of the equation. And also, uh, you know, once you do that, there's no going back ever to anything. Like, the, we will turn 
There, there are things we can do we could, to turn Russia out of the civilized world, which we have not yet done. Once they use nuclear weapons, they're not Iran in terms of a uh, patch-like sanctions regime. They're, they're North Korea. Mm. And so, like, that's really, it's a very serious thing. So the, the dangers of nuclear weapons, yeah, it's there, obviously. But uh, there's a reason no one's used them for 14 months, and that's not huge huge liability next super chat mad perfect canadian dollar is 550 conversations yeah. with yarvin are worth their weight in gold where they, they, are. they are definitely worth their weight in super well they may be worth their weight in canadian dollars i don't know i don't know what that is in in oh, that's like 37 cents like something <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it's they're pretty similar. Uh, okay, dissident right, twenty dollars. Speaking of worth oh. their weight in gold, uh, is Community Notes making Twitter the center of a new prestige network with more accurate, reliable info than legacy media? What? I mean, like it's a good experiment. It's like you know the problem with a lot of these. Like you know, like when I hear the word like citizen journalism i reach for my revolver like there's a certain <laughs> amount of things that democracy can do uh, but like ultimately i think the vision if 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 i was you know obviously i'm not involved in twitter i've never met elon musk or anything like that right you know i'm just like a guy but like if i was involved in any kind of a media company and twitter is most definitely a media company sure. i would basically i would be setting my sights higher I believe that the proper, you know, vision for a dissident media company or publisher today, and you, maybe you want to achieve this, but it's sort of the right aim. I think that anyone starting any kind of new media company should aim to become the state media company of the next regime. And, you know, like, like when you have that kind of ambition, you're like, no, if I'm going to do that, I need a system that is always right. Uh, I don't know that community notes meets that standard in terms of depth. I think you have to have like deeper and more powerful standards of journalism. I, you know, it's standards that frankly embarrass the New York times and the New York times can be kind of embarrassing on occasion. And so when the New York times and its dotage gets kind of embarrassing, you're tempted to say, well, you know, it's easy to do better than the New York Times. And the thing is, if okay, maybe in some cases it is easier to do better than the New York Times. All that means is that you can't just do better than the New York Times. You have to do much better than the New York Times. You know, if you're doing anything that hopes to be new, don't look at where everyone else's bar is set and set yours like one notch higher. Set the bar where it's supposed to be, and it's going to be like 10 notches higher. And that's that's how you clean up. Excellent. Uh, Vlad, any thoughts on uh, the uh, Twitter question there? The TQ. Yes, with the community uh, notes. They took away my blue check. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, the the blue check thing is it's such a it's such a disaster. It's so sad. It's, it's like uh, well, I mean, I mean, it made a lot of very um uh, like very hysterical people unhappy in ways that made me. No, 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 yeah, no, no, no. You can't mm. like your goal. Like this is just childish bullshit. Like your goal, if in any kind of conflict, is not to make your enemies unhappy. What? Like that's crazy. Your goal is to win. 
My my goal is to beat the Russians at this point. That's my like. I under I, under, I do understand that you're like you're like. What was the uh, what was the um, um he was the Russian he was the propaganda Ilya Ehrenberg. You're like you're like basically Ilya oh, yeah. Ehrenberg on I the subject of Russians. He wrote good poetry, make good art books. Mm. I was just I was just in the Madrid uh, uh, art art bookshop and I saw Ilya Ehrenberg in Spanish. It was like this made me happy as a as a Russian Ukrainian Jew. Even though and, you can basically just translate Ilya Ehrenberg into like into ukrainian and replace like kill the germans with kill the kill the Moscali, you know and it'll work right is that right and i mean look the uh like the the blue the blue check thing was stupid but it did it did distinguish people from no it wasn't stupid it was actually it was a representation you know carlisle has this great line about slavery he says you can't abolish slavery you all you can do is abolish the word slavery you know right. you may not call them slaves they may have technical structures but let's face it your toilet is still cleaned by slaves and right. and and the same is true of nobility and what twitter had done very cleverly was actually to recognize and formalize in this ridiculous informal i mean uh, you know, my company got a, a legacy blue check because like some dude came to our party and was like, got really drunk. was like, I can do it. And we we're like, you're right. And then he did it, okay. you know, and and like like and they, they were sold for money. It was completely corrupt, but it was still it was still a nobility. And you still. Yeah. And you and, and when you saw one of the real like blue checks, basically, you knew what kind of animal you were dealing with. Okay. And it was just like you wanted them to be required to wear these things in real life. You wanted maybe facial tattoos, right? You know, like right. like or a, a, just a badge that you could put on your shirt, like you know, like like that mm -hmm. identifies you as a journalist, right? You know, I mean, like like people want to know, you know, and and like and so actually, you're going in the wrong direction when you take this nobility and say we're not going to recognize it. It becomes even more informal and basically. It, it sort of gains power by being invisible in that sense. Mm. And when, whereas when you make it visible, when you make anything visible, you give it a name, you give it a status, you have a database of them, a list of them, they're on punch cards, you know, so yeah. much easier to round them up, you know, and I don't mean that physically, I mean that metaphorically, yeah, but the yeah, thing yeah. is, you know, basically keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And you're like, Elon just failed to do that with the press. I love the press. Like, I love the press. I love the Atlantic Council. I love the blob. I love the cathedral. Right. You know, absolutely. There's nothing but love in my heart. That is, Curtis, am I a member of a cathedral? Uh, no, you're a member of the deep state because the cathedral. Well, no, that's true. You're a member of the cathedral because you're part of the media apparatus. Right. You know, you're, you're part of the tablet magazine. Yeah. 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 Well, the tablet magazine is a little like, you know. I love tap. I Should love they tap. be doing these things? Like you know, like like it's questionable. Like like are they fascist? Like you know, not they're not. No, 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 wonderful, wonderful people. But you know, it's like what I love to see. It's it's almost like an American Glasnost in a way. Is and and I predicted. I, I endorsed. I endorsed Joseph Robin and Biden for for president in in the year twenty twenty. And I I I predicted that this would lead. To an era of Glasnost, an era of, of thawing, not perestroika yet. We're not run out of the perestroika level. The Glasnost, definitely. And and it's sort of a new return of openness, like a decline in this just like insane level of hysteria. And my my predictions have been like fully borne out. Like this has been four amazing years, like or the three amazing years so far, 
for it's been really a renewal of like open intellectual thinking. And I just don't think that would have been possible in another Trump administration. You're, you're, you're joking. No, not at all. They're all, not even slightly. all the psychosis and hysteria is still there. Like the, the, as much there. Yeah, it's still there. It's not going to decline, but it hasn't gone upward nearly as hard as it would have. I mean, I'm so old. I remember the Reagan administration. I remember basically, and I was, and I grew up amongst the libs, you know, I'm a blue, blue person. And I remember the, like the lifelong hysteria, like, you know, the professors that are basically like the worst people on campus today were all like undergraduates in the Reagan era. And they basically felt that they were living under the like occupation government of like Neanderthals from Kansas. Right. You know, you just like look at these you just shambling can I, form. You, can, I, can I tell you I grew up I grew up in, in New York City. I uh, like I come from a political Russian American political family. I was like I thought it's more of like a criminal family. It's yeah, fuck off. Uh, no, <laughs> political family. Uh, you're in waste management, you're in uh... <laughs> yeah. No, and like I, you know, I was blue. I was an anarchist. I was like, uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, you were like the Meadow Soprano of of uh, Brighton I Beach. I joined anarchy. You saw my Wikipedia page, did you? Uh, uh, I joined anarchist groups of calls, and like you know, I, I gave money to the ACLU when I was fourteen. Wow. I, I was intern for Senator Schumer when I was seventeen. I was seconded actually to the to the uh, money room. I was. Picking up checks from the JP Morgan guys uh, for Charles Schumer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, like yeah. a world, you know, like it, it was, it was a, it was a good world. It was. I didn't meet people from Kansas until I met yeah. like political operatives in Kiev, and they're like, "Oh, these guys are great. They're a lot of fun." I like. I only became an American in yeah. any way, a real American, hanging out with like w American war guys uh, and CIA operatives in Kiev. Like these guys are I a lot of fun. Yeah, I had, the, I had the same experience growing up as a foreign service brat, you know, because you'd meet like the military brats and they were like red state Americans and back home they'd be like totally different from you. But like you have like these strange things in common, like none of my like Portuguese friends knew how to throw a football, but I could throw a football. Right. You know, yeah, and yeah. I'm just like I never knew these yeah. guys until I got to Kiev and like I started hand. Those. These guys aren't so bad at all. You know, it's great. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. It's fun. They're like, you know, uh, 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 a friend of mine actually called me uh, um, uh, with with deep intelligence connections, and he, he's also at the AC, and he's a wonderful guy. He's from Alabama, and he calls me on the night of the 24th, um, and he's like, Vlad, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. You got to get other Americans out. You got to get out. And he says, Vlad, I'll send, you, I'll send you some money. I'll send you some shekels. You need some shekels to get out of Kiev? Well, get out of Kiev. $700 you needed to get to the border. I was like, I've got money. I was like, you know, just got to get out. Location, you're about to get it. I was like in Bucha. I was like, I, I, I got myself mm -hmm. safe nothing bad ever is going to happen in Butcher. He's like, gotta get out of here, get out of here, right? The location you're about to be in, about to get swamped. And then he says to me, I get me a Jew out of Kiev ahead of a bombing. You'll definitely give me a tree in Yad Vashem. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. But but Vlad, Vlad, I have one. There's a whole area, you know, there's no one, no one, no one really talks about this, especially in the in the context of the, um, the Ukraine. But how do you, how do you feel? Uh, how do you, um, how do you feel about the gypsies? Uh, the Roma, the Rome. <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the Roma are now fighting. Uh, fighting know, hard on the yes, yeah, yeah. We have, yeah, yeah. We, have, we, have, we have Roma guys fighting against the Russians, like Jews, uh -huh. gypsies, 
Armenians, Greeks, we're all fighting the fucking Russians mm. together. Right? We're like mm -hmm. we're internationalists. Mm. Ukraine is is a little Europe. It's a little Austro-Hungarian Empire, right? But nationalist, but nationalist. Yeah, but like very nationalist. You know, like they're really, like, they're like this is cost. This is like a cosmopolitan. Yeah, absolutely. With I, Armenians, I just, I just uh, Jews, one Roma. Can I can I tell you how? Can I just be funny Please. for what? Not stopping funny for one second. Have there been pogroms since the war started? No. Has there been ethnic nationalism on television? No. Have there been anything about the Jews or anything? Even the amount of racism. What about the Russians? Yeah, like, right, don't tell me there is. You don't tell me that people, you know, do not get shit for speaking Russian in Ukraine. No, don't, no one cares. A lot of the people killing Russians are, are screaming at them in Russia. Like, no one cares about language, man. You can talk Russian all you want in Kiev, in Odessa, and Kharkiv. There are, there are guys who are, who are cursing each other in Russian while killing Russians. And I say this having been to the battle. Yeah, the, I mean, the language of the battlefield is Russian on the Ukrainian side, Russian, not Ukrainian. Is that true or like... Yeah, no, people, or... no one tells you what language to speak. You like you have to fill out documents in Ukrainian and like you have to speak Ukrainian in court and shit. But like no one tells anyone which language to speak and the amount of racism that there should be against Russians based on what they're doing mm. is actually there. Right. I, you know, I always like the kind of racist or like anti-Semites sometimes have this position that like. Uh, you know, some anti-Semites will like deny the Holocaust and others will be like, well, it didn't happen, but it should have, you know, it's refreshing. It's like a fresh breath of like, you know, like like the unabashed like racism. What's the, what's the best what's the best racial slur for Russians? Like, what do you? Uh, uh, well, uh, Russia, we call them Russian fascists. Yeah. Nowadays. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about yeah, like a not... Vatnik? Vatnik, 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 Moscow. Like, what's the Moscow is just like uh, uh, my wife. My wife, she says, "Go to bed." Uh, she's here. <laughs> <laughs> I think that yeah, we definitely reached is that, is the that real what that little little bell. We definitely reached the low <laughs> here. Like, she should probably she should probably have a button to cut you off and save your career here. But, but the... all right, two two final super chats. We have two final super chats. Peter Juvenal, two dollars. It's my real name related. Our neighbors are not happy about uh -oh. one last question. <laughs> okay. All right. What's it to me, and then I can leave. All right. Give me one last question. All right. Uh, Peter, all right. Peter Juvenal, two dollars. It's my real name related to Bertrand de Juvenal. And final super chest from NGS uh, NOK twenty five dollars. That's uh, Nor Norwegian. And none of you guys know how to play soccer. I don't know where that's. Uh... Mm. Yeah, my son is a competitive soccer player. I always wondered what the N in Norway stood for. All right, guys. Uh, um, oh, let's, before, uh... be, yeah, before we go, I just want to say, uh, well, plugs to everybody. And also, uh, Curtis, don't leave. I have something in private I want to quickly tell you related to a particular event that I was at. But anyway, uh, right. guys, thank you so much for watching. Let's do the plugs from Odessa with love. Go on. Uh, you uh, can... My book of Ukrainian political essays, reportage. Me hang out with Sakashvili, me hang out with Michel Onfray, oh me God, hang out with Anna Levine, uh, Svetlana Alexievich being told not to come uh, into the city because, uh, oh, it's, by the way, both Ukraine, both women who got Nobel Prizes uh, for, of Ukrainian stock do not have Ukrainian citizenship. One is a Pole, the other one is a Belarus woman. Both Ukrainian okay. women with Nobel Prizes do not hold uh, literature, U prizes do not hold. Ukrainian citizenship. Uh, my book of political essays, 
uh, from Odessa of Love. My next book is about Jews, Ukrainians, and Russian propaganda. It's called The Birth of a Political Nation. Uh, uh, I'm not caricature of myself, I promise. My, my Ukrainian wife, she's about to kill me. I got to go. Curtis, this has been so much fun. Lev. This has been a great pleasure. Um, I actually don't have a copy of my book here, so I'm going to hold up a copy of <laughs> The Second American Revolution by John D. Rockefeller Jr. Classic <laughs> Bible of early Atlanticism. Actually, my real book is available at passage.press. Mm -hmm. It's uh, a lovely, lovely edition, and you great, can find me. As always, graymirror.substack.com that's gray with an a the american way i see they've turned the lights out on you vlad so I, i've literally turned the light yes on. and while amazing. and while you guys are on substack be sure to subscribe to my substack levpo.substack.com that's l-e-v-p-o for the audio listeners and as always patreon.com slash break the rules become a patron add a like subscribe smash the hell out of that subscribe button and click the bell the bell is extremely important thank you so much guys until